Uh, hey everyone, it's 10.15 Eastern PM, uh, it's episode 27, versus Media Late. Uh, I don't know what just happened there, I was trying to launch the room and it said I was host of another room and uh, apparently you're all here waiting for me, so uh, whatever that was worked out. It has not been my week for tech. Um, a lot of kind of weird stuff going on, I'm not really doing a topic, I just I want to go for like an hour late night shenanigans for all you uh, fun employed people or people who are don't have the usual nine to five on a weeknight, um, the, the bar regulars or what have you, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, society's mischiefs, uh, you losers without kids or wives, whomever. Every 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 uh, reject is invited tonight. So that's what we're going with. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of things happening today. Uh, Joe Biden has cancer. God rest his soul, or COVID, or whatever, or a stutter, or asthma, or something. We don't know. Uh, we just know he has something. Um, so a lot of topics. I know January 6th hearings are going on. If you want to comment on those, what's I'm not particularly watching them or interested in them. Um, but uh, if you want to talk about that, anything, we'll go for about an hour uh, so we can all get out of here and, and go get some sleep. Um, for those of you new, uh, feel free to jump up. Uh, feel free to uh, jump up to the callers. I'll take your thoughts, your questions. Uh, try to keep them short uh, so we can get as many people in as possible. Um, if you have a comment on anything or question or whatever, so uh, just kind of keep that in mind that there's probably people behind you and listening. We don't want to get anybody bored, uh, but the kookier the better. Uh, we like to have a good time around here. Uh, jumping right in. Andrew, you're on Versus Media late after hours. Hey. Uh, what's on your mind? Anything in the news this week? Any media-related topic? Anything that uh, you want to go into? Fire away. Yeah. Uh, hey, Stephen. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh, you, you forgot to add your uh, overseas listeners, so I'm uh, calling in from uh, Seoul, Korea. Oh, gee. What time is it over there for you? Uh, it is 11.17 uh, a.m. Well, so good morning. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Hopefully you're drinking still. Who cares? I'm not I'm not <laughs> drinking. I, I have a I have a a personal trainer gym appointment in the morning. So I'm like stone cold sober and bored as hell, but no, no, good, good, still good morning. At this point. Good, good morning over there. What do you do in Seoul, Korea? Uh, I am a, a consultant in the uh, aviation finance industry. Oh, you would have liked last, you would have liked Sunday night's guests. Um, what, uh, what, what's on your mind all the way from the other side of the world or ish? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really have too much. I mean, I've been, you know, follow everything going on in the U.S. from a distance. But, uh, no, I mean, just uh, with everything going on with Biden and every disease he has, it kind of reminds me of uh, Mr. Burns going in for his checkup and, and like, all these little uh, diseases trying to get to the door, but they're all held up. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do, so when you're over there and you get news and you're catching up, I assume it's mainly probably on web. What are you, what are you reading? What are you looking at? Uh, I mean, mostly like Wall Street Journal, um, Twitter, uh, this podcast and, uh, and Ruthless, uh, that's, that's pretty much it. So just pure disinformation all around. It, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Nina Jankowitz wouldn't uh, let me back in the States if I try. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, I, somebody else made the Mr. Burns joke about him and, uh, he has to get everything that's wrong with him. And then also, you know, he's the alien with the warm green glow who <laughs> I bring you love. And then he, he wishes pestilence once we all know who he is. Um, the, the guy's just 
holding on by a thread, let's face it. I mean, it's it's good he's in, I guess, quasi-good health for a 79-year-old, but tumbling off bicycles and uh, tumbling down Air Force One steps, and then he had cancer, and now he doesn't have cancer, and then he has asthma, and now he doesn't have asthma or whatever, and now he has COVID. It's, uh, it's, we're, we're taking it one day at a time over here right now. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, he was he was here a few months ago, uh, and that was uh, President Yoon, who just got uh, installed, and it was April. Uh, that was like his big first uh, foreign dignitary to visit. Uh, but everybody was sort of questioning, like, okay, like, what was the point? Nothing came out of it. There was this talk of this specific partnership, but, you know, that's... That's been pretty much every foreign policy trip of his. He just went over to Saudi Arabia, and it appears the only thing he brought back was COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm still yeah, waiting uh, to see who the first like pundit is. They haven't gotten here yet. I thought maybe, well, maybe the View tomorrow, who suggests that NBS gave Biden COVID on purpose to try to assassinate him. I'm still waiting on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess I don't really have much else, but uh, it's nice to finally. Uh, get in on on one of these live yeah we we have one other we have one other person who's in japan who calls in a couple times i forget his name but he might be even out there um so uh we always we always take that i'm I'm always curious about what it's like for you guys media wise where you are in the world and where you're getting your information from and um you're you're kind of under the constant threat of, of nuclear war and then you have china you know, flapping its gums at Taiwan right now. So uh, it's an interesting time for you, certainly, over there. Yeah, I will say there's uh, recently um, one publication here, uh, which is run by Westerners, has kind of gone into uh, more of a a daily uh, news updates and opinion, which, um, you know, there's there's a government-run news agency which does have an English branch, but uh, it was always hard to get you know, more detailed information here, but, uh, I mean, everything that I've read so far, I've signed up for their, uh, you know, free subscription, but it's just, uh, you know, it'd be like, uh, um, you know, signing up for the, the most left wing, uh, news rag in the U S. Uh, so it's interesting to need a little more detail on, uh, politics and things going on here, but, uh, yeah, can't, can't escape the, the slant. Does South Korea just think Biden's on the verge of death right now? No, no, not yet. <laughs> G- give them, give them another day. You guys are sort of, what is the future like right now? Is it, is it just global warming everywhere and hot? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same thing here. It's, uh, you know, we, weather hasn't been too bad, uh, but yeah, it's all climate change. I mean, even my wife, every time, uh, we get a hot day. She say, "Oh, this is climate change." And I mean, we, we do. We get all the shit air blown directly over from China. Um, and I spent a lot oh, of time yeah. working in China, so you know, nobody. Wa- I, I've seen it up close and personal. Nobody wants, you know, clean air more than I do. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the way to go about it, and, and, and you know how aggressive some of these people are is. Uh, it's a bit too much. Yeah, it's just good to know that the planet is still around like 11 hours from now where we are. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. just make yeah. sure to give us a heads up if, if uh, shit goes south. Yeah. All right. Well, the future is terrible, so uh, try to avoid it. <laughs> All right. I, I, I'll just try to like 
not sleep tonight now. I'll just try to stay away from it, and, and hopefully that works. Uh, yeah. Andrew, it's good to hear from you. Like I said, I like hearing from people who are uh, all over the place, and um, so I appreciate I appreciate your thoughts and uh, filling fill us in on you know different perspectives from places that are not where we are. So I, that, that's great that you called in. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Opie, welcome back. Fire away. No introduction needed. Hey, Stephen. Um, let me just first off and say that with the current topics today, as someone in who works in a religious field in a conservative part of the country, and as a self-described theological progressive, I am so glad that gay marriage is once again a topic in America. God help me. Um, having these conversations that I just thought <laughs> just I was kinda, done with as a freshman boy, in college. Yeah, that one just kind of came out of no. I mean, I know it was about the Dobbs decision, what Clarence Thomas said. It, it feels so just forced, and it just feels like Dems are just looking for a victory, and they're like, "We're going to get you." And now it's birth control, and they say they they're trying to codify birth control to be legal, and we're all over here like, "No one's trying to make it illegal, guys." Like whatever. Um, yeah, it, that, like I said, I kind of I've been shrugging. Uh, you know, there's some people on the right who are like, good, this needs to be done. This needs to happen. And, I, and, and I, I'm pro-gay marriage. Who cares? But uh, I'm more pro-get the government out of marriage completely. That's more of my extreme position. But, uh, yeah, that one just totally flew out of left field and mainly because the media and the Dems just needed a victory. They needed something. Their base is just sitting here with torches or they're ready to just stay home and not vote in November. So that's all this really was. It was just, you know, yeah. see, we're doing stuff. We're doing stuff. I thought it's interesting. Like the, the gay marriage thing was the first thing to come up right after Roe. And it was funny to me because Roe, the, the Roe's body wasn't even, wasn't even cold yet before like the gays started taking over the narrative about marriage. It's like the feminists didn't have any time to grieve before it was like, what about us? And that's kind of like what the entire left is. What What about us? What about me? And I thought that that was funny. Like, and most people jump on board. It's like, sure, you can have marriage. Who cares? But, um, yeah, I thought it was just kind of funny how that just came out of nowhere. And, like, now nobody's even talking about Roe. Yeah, and speaking of, you know, Tommy Tuberville actually, God help me, my senator, um, came out in favor of it. And speaking on him, I have been successfully he, he, converted. He, he had a good answer on it. They, they were just like. He had a very good answer. They just said. Sure, whatever. Know, Manu Raju's doing his tennis shoe act down the house. What are you saying about gay marriage, everyone? And ignoring the Democrats who just kind of slink by him. And he went up to Tumorville, and I think he just said, fine, what do I care? You live your life, I live mine, or, so, or something to that effect. I got it. It's Tuberville, but whatever. Uh, uh, I had to deal with him as a college football coach. Uh, but speaking of him, Varad has Varad met us officially converted me away from the Senate doomerism that we're seeing on the right. Um, I had to go back and look at like these Senate polls with like Walker and Oz. Uh, Five thirty-eight only had Tuberville. Tuberville winning Alabama versus Jones by nine. He won by 24. And you remember, Susan Collins was dead in the water. North Carolina was dead in the water. Uh, all uh, Cotton wasn't even supposed to win his 2014 race. They have always underselled Republicans in Senate races. They've always done it. Now, is Walker a good candidate? No. But luckily, Kemp's going to drag his ass to victory. And so I'm expecting, I'm, I'm done with the doomerism. 
Yeah, I mean, especially in the 2020 election, if you recall, I mean, they had those eight Senate races and the media was pretty much saying we're, they're going to take six of them and then they didn't take any of them. And as I've always said, Trump's Trump's antics during that election really overshadowed one of the more disastrous national elections for the Democrats in modern history. And I'm talking I'm not talking about midterm, I'm talking about, you know, races that happened along with the presidential race. Um, I mean, they lost all of those border districts in Texas. They lost ground in Texas. They lost ground in New Mexico. They lost ground in California, where those two, uh, uh, I forget off the top of my head, the, the Korean-American uh, House members, Republicans mm-hmm. won. Um, and, of course, they lost all those Senate races. I think they went 0 for 8 in Senate races, other than Georgia. But I'm talking about the night of and then, of course, uh, Trump's antics pretty much cost those two Senate seats in Georgia. But again, his, you know, his BS, you know, which, of course, we're still dealing with to this night, really overshadowed what a shitty election they had. And I guess on the plus side, the, the, the good news about his antics is they provided cover for the Democrats to not do an autopsy. And they just said, you know, insurrection, insurrection, insurrection. And you know, meantime, people are pointing over at these border towns and they're pointing at the Senate races and going, how the fuck did you guys lose these? How did, how did, you know, Harrison lose uh, to Graham and again, Susan Collins. And, you know, I I think you can see some of that this time around. I think some of those races are going to be closer. Um, I said on the podcast that the Fetterman one really is interesting to me because he's getting his campaign, he's, he's, not, he's non-existent, he's not out in Pennsylvania, he's just, I guess now he's on Zoom calls. This was a funny thing in Politico today where they said he's he's back on the trail. And then you click on that and you're like, oh, wow, he's back on the trail. And it turns out he just hosted a couple of Zoom calls. And so, of course, they're, they're you know, they're using linguistics there to try and sell that. And, I mean, there's, there's no guarantee this guy's going to, be, and I don't mean dead. I just mean he he might have to drop out, or they're just going to keep covering up how serious a condition he had, and hopefully he limps across the line, and then maybe doesn't finish his term, and they just you know seat the term or whatever. But the Fetterman one's interesting because his social media campaign really is just kicking the shit out of Oz, and you see this in the press how much they're praising his social media campaign. It reminds me of Mike Gravel you know, from 2016 about, you know, those exactly, yeah. hired and they praised it. And then Mike Gravel didn't draw 2% of the vote. And so the Fetterman one to me for what I do and for what I'm in, which is, you know, social media and media and studying media patterns and things like that. That's going to be interesting because if he gets absolutely destroyed or if he loses, that's going to put a, a nail in the coffin of media praising cool social media campaigns. Cause it, it limits the amount of voters you're reaching. I, I don't know how many voters in Pennsylvania are on Twitter. You know, that's something that should be studied, but our media is not doing it. So um, the, the Herschel Walker thing is going to be interesting on the, on the flip side of that coin. If Oz loses and Walker loses, that could be the end of, you know, the Trump celebrity endorsement campaigns. So yeah. those are interesting that the Blake masters in Arizona one is really interesting. And he's a Peter Thiel guy. JD Vance, I think is probably safe. Um, the, the Republicans aren't looking at any like huge net losses. You don't want to be the Democrats with the Senate right now because the best yeah. they can maybe do is pick up one seat or the worst they can do is lose three or four or, or even five. And, uh, there's one last thing. Um, you're smarter with media than I am obviously, but what 
at one point, if it looks like we're going to have Trump versus DeSantis and before anyone even, uh, you know, commits to a race, do you see Tucker getting involved in that at all? Like Tucker uh, making a early endorsement on someone? Possibly. The thing about Tucker is he does all of his things behind the scenes. So, so even if he does, Tucker's not really someone who uses his television show in that manner. And that's something that isn't really talked about enough. He doesn't really endorse people. He doesn't really come out and say, I support. Um, He he could, and that could, I I think Tucker could probably swing a race more than Trump could at this point. Um, Tucker does, he likes to do things behind the scenes. And that includes, Tucker is friendly with more media people than his normal audience would be be comfortable with. I know that he had that exchange with Ben Smith uh, a couple of weeks ago, just like Taylor Lorenz had one, but he's generally friendly with a lot of people in media on as a source and on and off record. And Tucker's defended that in the past. And he's just said, look, it's my job to know these people. And, um, and so I know he's somewhat like friendly with Ben Smith, even though they go at it and they go round and round. And that's a lot of, that's also a lot of people in media. You see the Trump Maggie Haberman Trump back, Abner, yeah. where, you know, Trump will slam her on Twitter or True Social, but he has her on speed dial and they'll bullshit for hours. Um, the most to me I would see Tucker doing is just doing that shit behind the scenes. He would mm-hmm. he would be advising DeSantis to say this or he'd be advising Trump to say this. But I also think Tucker's really good at reading tea leaves. Um, he's someone who I think would tell Trump, you know. They just this poll about in Iowa just came out today, the Iowa Des Moines Register that said uh, basically only 32 percent of voters want to see Trump run again. But when you adjust that to Republican voters, it's 56 percent of Republicans. So it's still a plurality. But it's, it's basically how Trump won in 2016. He didn't win Iowa in 2016. Ted Cruz won. Um, but then Trump splits the field. And that's how I see that shaking out is that could happen again, where you get eight people jumping in and, you know, there's no clear alternative to Trump, which I think there is this time. I think there's a couple. I don't think it's just DeSantis. And mind you, for all the talk of DeSantis, he hasn't announced or done anything either way. And I find that interesting that there's all of this hubbub around him. There's all of this talk around him and him and his people aren't, making moves either way. And Do you think he's waiting for the governor race to be over? Yeah, and, and he said that because that's also, if, if if the voters of Florida think that he's just, you know, trying to zoom past this election to get to 2024, yeah, they, they might. I don't think so in this case, but it, that's generally happened in the past where if they think you're overlooking their state or their needs, they'll vote you out or they'll vote against you. So that's, you know, and he, he said that. He said he's just looking forward to 2022 and governing the state and He's doing all of those talking points that they all do. And so maybe, you know, beginning of next year, you know, January, February, you start to see some movement there. But he he hasn't even mentioned it. So I look at it and I say, and I know he's referenced a lot, and I know a lot of people want him in the race. But I look at it and I'm saying, as of now, you have to go about it that he's not running because he's not doing anything that suggests that he is. So as far as Tucker... Tucker's the kind of guy who will make up his mind and he'll pull strings behind the scenes. Um, yeah. he, he might do it on his show, but I don't see Tucker coming on his show and telling Donald Trump not to run again. I, I think, tr- I think Tucker likes chaos. I think he likes, I think he likes the battle and he likes the fight. And I think Tucker would be out here encouraging 
a 15-round fight between DeSantis and Trump because I think in his world, that makes one of them better, ultimately. If Trump beats DeSantis, that makes Trump better. If DeSantis beats Trump, that makes him better because, you know, you don't know who they're going. And that's the other thing. You don't know who they're going up against in two years. It could be, it could be Biden. It could be Kamala Harris. It could be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It, it could be someone we don't know. And so it could be Gavin Newsom. So that's another whole aspect to this. And like I said, I, I wrote last week that when the if the midterms go as they go historically, and if they're going to go the way that a president with a 36% approval rating go, the very next day you're going to see Wash Post, New York Times, Twitter, Twitter progressives, everyone calling to dump Biden. It will be, it will be so loud that it will be the only thing that they'll be talking about, unless he dies of COVID in the next 10 days. Well, uh, that answers my question. Uh, thanks, Stephen. I won't keep uh, the lineup anymore. No, good, good questions, Opie. Good to see you. Uh, let's bring in Town Moron. Good to see Town Moron. Uh, I'm going to scroll back here a bit. Uh, I see Zach, who we know, Samuel, we know, Daniel, Rob. I see Paul, that we know, Josh, Jared. So a lot of people we know. Uh, Town Moron, fire away. What's on your mind? Uh, hey, Stephen. Uh, I was just going to... I was just going to pass along, along a little anecdote, a little uh, encounter that I had the other day. Uh, I was having dinner with some people who are, of course, extremely progressive. And uh, one of them, one of them you know, brought up something about Dobbs and abortion and everything else and said, you know, I think initially what she assumed would be a throwaway comment of none of these Republicans will follow the science. And I said, well, what is the science? You know, I just very simple question. I said, what's the science around abortion? What's the, you know, about this being a clump of cells versus a baby? I was like, if day one after conception is clump of cells and day one before is a baby, what, you know, what's the science you're relying on? And she started kind of Oh, well, you know, this isn't about science. This is about a choice between a man or a woman. And I said, well, okay. So I think, you know, there's lots of people who, if it's not about science, that probably means there's some sort of a line that has to be drawn. I said, you know, don't you think maybe then there's some kind of law line that we could draw? And she said, well, you know, are we going to be the backwards comp- country compared to the rest of the world? And I said, well, you know, actually, Europe has... Uh, what we would be seen as much stricter abortion restrictions than we have here. We're kind of the outlier in a lot of ways. And then uh, he said, well, this is all about what's between a, a doctor and, and a patient, blah, blah, blah. And, and just kept going back to that. And finally I just said, well, I mean, I just am curious, like, are there any restrictions that are okay? Or is it up till the day before birth? And she finally just said, yes, the day before birth is still fine. If it's between a woman and the doctor and just, flipped out screaming at me and i during the entire course of it i never gave my position whatsoever kept it completely to me even told her i wasn't going to give her i didn't even want to and uh just by getting her to get to the point where she admitted out loud yes day before birth you can kill it she flipped out went into the other room started screaming at her uh, sister and mom about the asshole that was bringing up uh, killing babies the day before birth, and why wouldn't I let it go? Anyway, I just I thought you'd appreciate it because it is absolutely, I think, the case that none of these people have had to say this position out loud and just how extreme it is 
And now that there's actually a requirement that they say it in order to pass something, uh, well, well, it, it's infuriating. Now, now put yourselves in the shoes of a Democratic candidate. And, uh, I mean, you, you, you use kind of one of my favorite rhetorical devices, which is you don't necessarily reveal your own position. You just question them on theirs. And you do it simply and calmly. And as I said, it's, you know, if, if, your, goal is, if your goal is to kind of troll them, it's can you do it as calmly and as simply as possible? Uh, I'll throw one back at you. The other night I, I was at dinner and one of the people at dinner uh, who knows what I do for a living said uh, not to get political because I, what's funny is I'm generally respectful if I'm in like someone's house, whatever. I have lived friends who they've learned to tolerate me and vice versa. And my excuse now is um, whenever someone tries to bring up politics or they want to pick my brain, I, I sometimes just tell them, I'm going to need you to put a $100 bill on the table um, because I don't do this for free anymore, um, which is a joke. And you should see the expressions I get. But they said to me, not, not at the risk of getting political, and I thought that this was going to be something about you know appearing on Megyn Kelly or a position of mine. They flat out just throw out, and this is someone who's pretty smart and well-rounded, they throw out, do you think Trump killed Ivana? <laughs> and I, I, I was like out of left field, but I, I just learned to have fun with it. And I said, look, if Hillary can get to Jeffrey Epstein, then I'm sure Trump can get to his ex-wife. I'm sure he had keys to the place. And, you know, I said, if, if Trump can kill Ruth Bader Ginsburg, then I'm pretty sure he can probably get to his ex-wife. And the, the look that comes over their face when you say that completely deadpan is it's priceless. It's one of the reasons I, I do this, just, just to see the reaction that I'm getting. And so, I mean, that's, it really is that simple. You don't, I try to tell this on my podcast. I try to tell people who talk about politics is I just say, you don't need to get into a shouting debate. You just need to ask them questions because a lot of people who are passionate about this, who were shoved into this by our media and, now it's everywhere you turn on ESPN or you turn on fucking Sesame Street or whatever. They, they think that they're, you know, learned and they think that they're initiated and everything. And, and, and what you find is they might have passionate feelings about a topic, but their, their knowledge is limited to their news sources that they read and they watch. And that's why I tell people in, in conservative circles, don't, don't watch Fox. Don't read Breitbart. Don't read conservative media. Uh, read liberal media and, and do it without getting upset. And that way you kind of know where they're already at. Um, so, I mean, it is one of my favorite rhetorical advice. It's just, again, in the abortion debate, you just say, you know, at what point do you, do your organs and your limbs and your, your fingers and your heart and your eyeballs and your ears, what, at what point do those become yours? You know, when do you claim ownership over them? And, and they'll usually say out of the womb. You go, but so the day before they're not like, even if you can, even if you're sustainable out, without, you know, uh, a host. And so it's also such a passionate topic of theirs. I, I've said that abortion is their second amendment for the right. It's one of their sacred pillars. It just turns out that we have an inherent constitutional right to one and not the other. And that's why I was so stickler about correcting them on you know, we have a constitutional right to abortion. Well, no, you don't. Not until you amend the Constitution, which you decided not to do. Um, but it is, it, is a, it is one of my favorite rhetorical devices to simply ask questions. And you might see that on Twitter where I'll just – Eric Adams is, is a great one, what we just saw. And I haven't, even, I haven't even approached this topic. But Eric Adams in New York is 
complaining that his safety net system in New York City can't handle the influx of migrants and immigrant, uh, you know, undocumented immigrants coming up from the southern border states. And they say that this is a problem. And you simply go, why is this a problem? And eventually, you know, you turn into the barbershop guy from coming to America. He's like, Aha, where they, they're finally starting to fucking get it. Um, the, the thing with the busing of migrants into D.C. and New York was something I wasn't sure about when I thought this was going to happen. I know DeSantis said they were going to do it and, and Abbott said he's going to do it. And, and um, a few other border state governors said they were going to do it. And I'm like, you know, this could backfire. This is one of these things where it's like, okay, and now they've done it. And I, I'm just enjoying it because I don't understand how this administration walks into the DeSantis buzzsaw every time. All they had to do, Karine Jean-Pierre had, to, when she was asked by Ducey, he goes, you know, she said it's very cruel what they're doing. And all you have to do to to kind of neuter DeSantis and Abbott on this is say, yes, we encourage these might we encourage these people into our communities. Uh, we believe that they are welcome here and that they're a valuable part of our culture and our society. And you take it away. What do they do? They sit there and they say this is a burden on our uh, our safety net system. It's cruel. They're tricking them. And you just go uh, New York City, which has, you know, five million people in it. Is their safety net is strained by one busload of migrants? How do you think a town of 6,000 is doing on the border in Texas? Um, so, yeah, as far as like abortion, it is, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's fun, but when these debates happen, it is interesting to just sit back and just throw questions at them and say, okay, wh- why don't you think a, a living creature with a heartbeat, you know, is, is a human being or whatever? And, you know, people that know me know that abortion's not my hobby horse. I'm not really strictly pro-life on a lot of things, although I've said that how I look at it is simple. If you had to draw a line in the sand and I had to stand with people on the right who, you know, are, are advancing their position through science and medical science, through ultrasound technology and fetal heartbeat technology and things like that, and they're very calm about their position, they know what they believe they're very sound on what they believe. They can articulate it to you. Or my option is to go stand with Amanda Marcotti, who's like, kill it, kill it. You know, uh, I'm going to, I'm probably going to stand with the people who I even don't hundred percent agree with, but who seem to have a more saner grasp on what they're trying to argue. Well, like I said, I mean, there's, you know, I never gave my position and I don't know. It's probably somewhat nuanced. Uh, although I will say it, probably became more conservative once I had kids of my own. But uh, the one thing that stating my position has never done is infuriated me for having to state it. <laughs> so watching someone who absolutely yeah, that's, hated that's, to that's have to good, admit. That, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, I think. That's, that's a very good, simple way of putting it. Like, uh, I shouldn't, I don't get angry whenever I have to, to state what I'm saying. And then uh, just the other thing I will say about the the busloads of migrant, I was not a fan of that. I didn't like the look of using people as kind of political pawns in that way, whatever you think about anything else and about uh, undocumented or illegal immigrants or anything else. But my God, did it play out beautifully. So I, yeah, <laughs> all, they, all they had to do is stand there with welcome signs and hot coffee. And, and say, you know, Mur- Muriel Bowser and Eric Adams should have just been out there to greet them. And that's your photo op. Like, if I'm advising them, if I'm a political advisor, and I see that they're doing this, these border states are doing this, to prove the point. You know, hey, if you want them here, you got them. They're in your place now. 
uh, I don't come out and bitch about, hey, we don't have the capacity to take these people. What? It, like, yeah, you're, that's our whole argument. You walk right into it. I would, I, if I'm advising Eric Adams in New York, I'm saying you go out there and you greet them. You set up a coffee tent. And they're the first face that you see off the bus. And we'll compare it to Ellis fucking Island, and it will look great. And they aren't smart enough to do that. It's it. It was mind-boggling how much they stumbled on that, and especially the White House, where you know Karine Jean Pierre's like, "We don't like this. This is cruel. We find this a problem." And and I just simply asked on Twitter, "Please describe in detail why this is cruel and why this is a problem." Yep. Yeah, well, I'll I'll move along and let a. Uh let other people uh, have their few minutes, but I, I will just say uh, when it comes down to it, I, I still have to put my money. I still have to put my money just because of the chaos of it all on a, a Hillary and Trump rematch. I just think somehow, and, and one of the greatest nights of my life was leaving the office with, you know, the New York times little needle at 99% Hillary getting home, kind of just working on other stuff. And then, uh, the roommate I had at the time, I heard an anguished no from the other room at the moment that <laughs> everything had flipped. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, that was one of the, uh, having not been in any way uh, a fan of Trump, that, that was the pure political chaos moment that just made the last five or so years worthwhile. And, I don't know if God loves me enough to give me that that moment a second time, but I almost could see it happening. And the left will be every bit as mystified the second time as they were the first. Uh, my, could be too good my, to be true. Yeah, my outside. It, so the, the funniest thing is you, you had to love, and you have to understand nothing Hillary does on accident. You had to fucking love. Thirty minutes after Biden's COVID diagnosis today came out, Hillary Clinton's Twitter account posts a photo of her on a campaign trail, saying "ready to move" or some shit. And I'm just like, man, you have you have to respect that. You you have to disrespect that knife. Um, I mean, you respect it about as much as her killing Vince Foster and Jeffrey Epstein allegedly. Um, I was going to say Biden, my, Biden dying from COVID might be the least suspicious death to occur around the Clintons. So for God's <laughs> sake, she's got to be thrilled. Yeah. Um, if I'll, I'll just throw this out here cause whatever it's late and we're just goofing off. If Hillary gets involved in anything in 2024, here's, here's my prediction. She is Gavin Newsom's vice president. Believe it or not. That's what I think. <laughs> It's because I'll tell you because Newsom was on her short list in 2016, um, but she she eventually just went with the safe pick of the guy that she could trust the most and wasn't going to cause the most waves, which turned out to be again a fatal mistake to her campaign. And but Newsom was on the short list, and I, when I saw that, I was like, "Fuck, she's going to pick that chose." And so they have a relationship. So if 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 it's anything. Um, I, I can see Kamala with Newsom as her VP, or I could see Newsom with Hillary Clinton as his, and I think she would take it. I literally, as the elder white, as the elder wise stateswoman, trying to bring sanity back into the world and bringing experience and you know whatever, I think she would probably fucking take that job. You know, and she she would bite her tongue and be the second on the ticket. Until Gavin Newsom mysteriously ends up in Fort Marcy Park with a gunshot in the back of his head, at least. Well, uh, on that note, I'll, g I'll give you one last line, which is uh, if, in fact, uh, 
for whatever reason, President Biden passes away from COVID, we'll know for sure that the Clintons were involved if uh, it ends up getting ruled a suicide. Yeah. Or, you know, any recent contact, who knows? She is, she is <laughs> friends with the Saudis. There is that. Thanks, Stephen. Have a good one. All right, Tom Moron. It's good. It's good hearing from you. Sorry, my cat is throwing a hissy fit right now. Okay, that's good. I have uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a retarded-looking Persian cat, and sometimes he gets gunk in his nose that's bigger than his nose, and that's that. Sorry about that, Zach. You're up. Fire away. Anything that you want to talk about, or topics in the news, or things you're hearing here? Well, um, on the topic of abortion, I'm actually in favor of abortion, even post-birth, because I could think I think about three fourths of the population of D.C. should be aborted currently. We'd be in a better place. Um, so, are we talking like how many years after? So, at least thirty-five years, forty years. Um. No, most politicians are what, 70s and 80s? Oh, yeah, I would say average in their 60s or 70s. So are you talking abortion yeah. up to age 80 here? Who's the oldest? Is, Pelo- is Pelosi the oldest out there? She's what, 130? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I, would, um, I would actually like to see that position polled. Not, not abortion right after birth, but abortion especially for D.C. politicians, up to the point of death. Yeah, I, I, I think I could get enough support for that. Nancy Pelosi um, would be made to feel comfortable until a decision could be made what to do about her and her rack. Oh, um, yeah, I'm going to throw up. You mentioned that picture again. Um, but as, as I believe you asked on one of the previous podcasts, does somebody that, you know, had cancer still say have and the answer is no right don't. Um, because when you have it you, you understand how bad it sucks and so you would never claim to actively have it when you didn't so they would either say no they don't have it or you might hear them say they're uh, NED which is no evidence of disease um but no, you would never, you never say have for past tense unless you just um, misspoke or you're uh, lying to make money or make a political point. Yeah, the the funniest thing about all of that is, again, as I said on the podcast, he, Biden floods it. He says, you know, I or everyone I grew up with has cancer, and everyone went, he has cancer. <laughs> and I don't know how many people actually meant it. It was just one of, again, we're making fun of the old guy who can't, you know, whose brain is melting out of his ears every time he speaks. Um, but the funniest thing, again, was you had three three of Biden's most loyal journos jump in to defend him and say it was skin cancer. And as it turns out, he never even meant cancer. And he meant asthma, which is what Town Hall showed. And, and as I said, I played today on my podcast, I played the clip side by side. And it's clearly what he meant to say. But here you had the White House using the Washington Post fact checker as what Biden meant. And again, now it's they, they've all just decided, fuck, man, the guy's the guy's nuts. He has COVID now. What do you want us to say? 
uh, it's like they can't, they personally can't even keep up with his bullshit anymore. Because a good White House comms, when he slips that up, would know that story. Because he's told it more than once. So they would know, oh, this is one of his favorite stories to talk about pollution and asthma. And instead of, like, saying, no, he just meant asthma, he slipped up, it's hot, whatever, uh, they just they go to the hill on the dumbest things. It was like this, it was like the, the junior comms babe saying, you know, he said... Uh, let me repeat the line, and that's what he said. And they go to—they're—they're go, they're still arguing about this on Twitter, and it's kind of like all we're doing is having fun with him. He's the president; we're allowed to make fun of him, whether it's Republican or Democrat. We're allowed to do this, and they take it so fucking personally every time that they end up making a bigger news story out of something that isn't. If they were smart, they just let Twitter have its fun for a day. Ducey might ask a question, would you like to clarify if he has cancer or not? <laughs> and then it's over with. And instead, it's now like a three-day thing that's now, you know, poor guy is dealing with both cancer and COVID. And it's so funny how many times this comm shop goes to the press and say, see, the press is making our point for us. Yeah, that you're not making the point you think you are. You're making the point guys like me are making with our careers. And so this idea that, you know, Glenn Kessler jumps in and goes, he's clearly talking about the skin cancer he had. And Andy Bate goes, yeah, that's what he's talking about. And here comes Town Hall to disprove that. And Glenn Kessler just goes, ah, nevertheless. And they just completely wash their hands of this. And it's kind of like, oh, I guess I guess we're just going to ignore that whole uh, oil slicks in Delaware from the 1950s caused skin cancer thing. Uh, it's just laughable and how many rakes they stepped on over this harmless, stupid little... I got my words mixed up, which is what happens when you have to be carbon dated. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to defend every every slip up because, I mean, my God, we all do it. We're all human. All you have to say is, "Ah, oh, he, you know, was speaking." He just meant and, to say asthma. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, they just, they can't help themselves. There's Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons where he steps on a rake and then he takes a step back, takes another step, steps on another rake and it zooms out and there are just rakes all around him. All of their own, into- all of their own doing because Glenn Kessler could not let a stupid trolley tweet from the RNC research account go. He just couldn't do it. They all had to, how dare you? This He's clearly talking about skin cancer. Uh, no, he's not. <laughs> And so, and then of course, as soon as you're a fact checker, if you're going to jump in and say that, well, you've now established a narrative. So now you're going to have to tell us how many cases of skin cancer came from Delaware because of oil slicks on the windshield in 1950. And they just ignore that. They just run away because they don't even pay attention to the Twitter messages anymore. It's, it, it's funny how much these guys have just said, we're, we're turning our notifications off. Like, you think that makes us go away? Like, what? That doesn't make anybody go away. It just makes you look like you're not willing to answer the questions that you yourself just created. So, I mean, whatever, but it's it's always the same people. It's Kessler, it's Sam Klein from Politico, formerly of HuffPost Daily Beast, and then it's Edward Isaac DeVore, who's Biden's unofficial biographer. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of Hillary, one of their associates um, recently was found hung with a shotgun blast in his chest and the death was ruled as suicide. <laughs> Which one was this? How long ago was this one? Uh, I want to say just about a month or two. It's been 
fairly recent. Um, that's about that's about their you know, average, about one a month. It's it's like a yeah, lust. You um, have to keep you have to keep doing it, you know, to to try and stay alive and feel young. Yeah, and um, you know, you, you would hear that, and you would go, "My God, you know, this has to be corrupt." And I actually used to live in the in the county where the the county sheriff's the tip the the county. I'm pulling a Joe Biden. The um, county sheriff's department handled the case, and I'm here to tell you that it may not be corruption because they really are that stupid. But with Hillary involved, it's probably corruption. I mean, who are we kidding? Uh, I'm looking this up right here. So American Military Times... Here we go. Here's Flipboard. I'm looking for something that doesn't sound like, you know, freetpartypatriot.com, www.creedthoughts, whatever. Um, let's see here. I'll, I'll read from Flipboard. Though that's that's the same link. Clinton associate with Epstein ties found hanging tree with a shotgun blast in quote-unquote suicide. <laughs> Mark Middleton, a former special advisor to President Bill Clinton, who had ties to billionaire convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein... Oh, let's see. It's sending me back. Whatever. Uh, hold on. Uh, was found on May 7th hanging from a tree with a shotgun blast to the chest. His death has been ruled a suicide, and his family has petitioned a judge to prevent photos from the scene of his death from being released to the public. Middleton was found at a ranch in Perry uh, County, Arkansas. Oh, so like in the in the old Clinton hood, like this guy goes back. Authorities investigating Middleton's death did not immediately reveal the cause but in an interview with Radar Online last month, Cary County Sheriff Scott Montgomery said Middleton was found hanging from a tree with an extension cord with what he described as a self-inflicted shotgun wound to the chest. Uh, he died from self-inflicted shotgun wound to the chest. Montgomery told Radar Online he found a tree and he pulled a table over there and he got on that table. He took an extension cord, put it around the limb, put it around his neck. And he shot himself in the chest with a shotgun. The 59-year-old Middleton reportedly trespassed onto the Haifa Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas. Arkansas places have the, have the most Arkansas names of anything. Uh, where he died. I don't know the man, and I don't know why he picked our county or picked that location to commit suicide. Uh, Montgomery told Radar Online, to our knowledge, he had never been there before, and we have no record of him being here before. <laughs> Montgomery said that Middleton's family told authorities he had been depressed, but that Middleton did not leave a suicide note. So yeah, that's Vince Foster. Radar Main Daily Mail both reported this week that Middleton's family had filed a petition requesting photos of the scene that be sealed, disclosed. Uh, let's, I'm just going to scroll here. Middleton served as a special advisor to Clinton during the 90s. In 96, the Washington Post reported Middleton, who had uh, by that point left the White House, was caught up in allegations of improper fundraising for the Democratic National Committee during Clinton's 96 re-election. Well, if you, uh, stepping out of this for a second, if you were alive in the 90s, just about every single person around the Clintons was convicted for uh, improper fundraising. That was kind of their thing. Uh, it says, through Middleton denied any wrongdoing. On November 16, 1996, the Los Angeles Times reported, White House officials investigated Middleton and found he had abused his access at the White House and would be barred from future access to the executive mansion. Uh, Daily Mail last year reported it learned through a Freedom of Information Act request that Epstein visited the Clinton White House at least 17 times. The Daily Mail reported Middleton admitted Epstein into the White House on 
on uh, on seven of those 17 known visits. So Middleton let this dude into the door. According to an obituary posted on Salem County news page, uh, Middleton had served on the board of directors of the, uh, I think it's Chicago State Vincent Foundation, an Arkansas cancer treatment center called Cardinal and Arkansas Bank Trust Arvest. Middleton also served on the board of advisors for the University of Arkansas Medical Sciences. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, so yeah, there, there's some. It could be some shenanigans there. Why would you try to? Why would you try to hang yourself and then shoot yourself? Did you, I mean? Did he just? Is it? Do you just change your mind at the last second? So yeah, there's. I don't know. There's some weird shenanigans there, allegedly. Yeah, and um, and for those listening, uh, the Heifer Ranch is actually. Um, I actually used to live in Perryville, which is. It was not uncommon to see Jim McDougal driving up and down the street in the nineties. I mean, he was there a lot. It was. It was kind of the. The bank there was small, and it was apparently a very good place to facilitate financial wrongdoings. Um, but this is like a – it's like an educational nonprofit type ranch. So, you know, they have animals there, and schools will take field trips, and, you know, you can feed the goats and and things like that. And Hide a body. Uh, it's a it's a large area and and there's a, a very significant wooded area um, next to it that they all own and so yeah yeah you could you could easily hide a body in there um, and it or several or several it's it's very rural so you know there may not be a car drive by for hours at a time so you could do this in the middle of the night. And have your SUVs and your hitmen, you know, gone before the next car drives by. And, you know, nobody will ever know. Um, but as for so, is, the, so it is your contention, Zach, and, and then we move on. Did, uh, did what's this guy named Middleton kill himself? No, no. He was aborted. Okay. I, well, yeah. Oh, that's good. I hope, I hope you have your affairs in order. I hope you have your documents in order. And uh, do you need do you need to uh, register mail your suicide note to me? Um, no, but I will say publicly here I am not suicidal, <laughs> and um, I have no plans to to end my life at any time in the near future. So if anything happens, if to you're me, if you're not here uh, next week, we're going to come looking for you. Okay, and I may not be here next week because I've got to go to Houston, and then I'm leaving Houston and going to North Carolina for work, so I may not be yeah, here. Yeah, you know you just gave your entire itinerary and schedule of where you're going to be on a public podcast, right? Um, yes, but I'm also always armed, so feel free. That may not matter. They, they, they work very quick and very fast and very silent. If they can get into the New York Correctional Facility – they can probably get anywhere. So just just giving you a heads up. I'm not as friendly, though. All right. Uh, Zach, do you have anything you want to finish up with before I jump on to Samuel and the rest of these guys no. here? No, but but as a fellow cancer patient, if Biden needs any any support or any questions, um, I'm happy to, to help Yeah, you are a resident expert here, so if, if we have any of those, if, if his cancer progressively gets suddenly worse, like in the next day, 
and he doesn't make it, uh, you're, we're going to have to come to you with all of our questions. All right. Sounds so please good. don't accidentally not kill yourself. Thanks, Zach. Wow. <laughs> Wild. Zach's always a trip. Samuel, let her rip. We're, we're, we're going a little bit over. I'm going to take, uh, we'll end it, uh, Daniel. I saw Daniel back there and he dropped. So we'll go Rob, Paul, Josh, Chris, Jared, and Daniel. But let her rip, Samuel. All right. So I'm a little bit mad at Opie for stealing my thunder. But I also want to contribute to the case against Senate Doomerism. So again, I'm going to cite Varad Maida's Twitter feed just because he posts a lot of polls, a lot of uh, breaks down polling and stuff, and it's really uh, helpful to look at. So I'm just going to go through a couple 2018 Senate polls, go back a little bit further than Opie did, uh, just to demonstrate that Senate polling has always been bunk, and we shouldn't start believing it now uh, just because we're all terrified that the Democrats, with Biden with a 33% approval rating, is somehow going to hold on to the Senate. So in 2018, um, six of the major pollsters leaned the Indiana Senate race, won by Braun by six, as toss-ups. Then there was Missouri with Josh Hawley and McCaskill, um, seven toss-ups. Then there was Florida. Not a single pollster had Rick Scott winning. They were all toss-ups or lean Ds. Then there was North Dakota where they were all lean R's, not a single safe or likely R. So somehow North Dakota, there was a chance it was going to go to Democrats. And then Tennessee, toss-ups and lean R's. And Blackburn won by like 16 points or something like that. And then there was a polling back when Tom Cotton initially ran, that he, back in like 2010 or 2012, whenever that was. He was down by 11 points. Um, there was a poll again, uh, week of the election, Bill Nelson was up seven over Rick Scott, Joe Donnelly was up seven over Mike Braun. So it's not that we shouldn't be concerned. I, I do think that, you know, Oz is a pretty crappy candidate. Um, I do think that Walker sucks. Um, I do think that masters is a little weird, even though I don't hate his candidacy, um, and fundraising is a little bit concerning, but we have to get away from this idea that Republicans are going to lose. They will piss away one or two races because that's what they always do. But the idea that they're going to blow this thing is just unrealistic in this national environment. I mean, they would have to outrun Biden's approvals by 15 points. And I think the bellwether is there was a New Hampshire poll where Maggie Hassan up against uh, the three New Hampshire. Yeah, this, uh, this, yeah, this one just came out today. Uh, the Maggie, the margin Maggie is now stressing. It's interesting. Yeah, they don't even have the candidate, and it's within margin of error in New Hampshire, which while we kind of view it as a purple state, a Republican uh, president hasn't won it in a long time. Um, and then just the other one poll I want to cite here, um, it was a Marquette poll released, I believe, this morning. Um, and Republican enthusiasm's up to 63%, and Democrats are at 45%. So that's an 18-point lead on enthusiasm. So again, you're really going to have to tell, cite to me how Democrats are going to pull this thing off when everything's against them except for polling. That's Tim Ryan at 43%. 43% isn't going to win a Senate race. You know, it's just... And money 
doesn't dictate these races. Jamie Harrison had a hundred million. Gideon had a hundred million. Greenfield had a hundred million. So we could go on and on about why Democrats, they're just not going to pull this thing off. And again, they'll piss away a race or two, but it's just not going to happen. And we have to get away from this downtrodden mentality. What Samuel, what's your contention for the underpolling is, and you can even go back his, historical. Is it uh, Republican voters aren't polled accurately because they don't, they, they don't want to talk to pollsters or is it the media skewing polls to make the race seem closer than they are? which to me would be the only two explanations. And I have theories, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you th- why do you think that the polling is, is being underpolled right now? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that specifically, you know, people like to think that, uh, you know, the world started in 2016. But 2016 is definitely important that Trump, you know, was going to lose 99%. And he won. And I think in a lot of minds of Republicans, they just said, you know what? Why help these pollsters out when we can just screw with them more? So I think that is the mentality of a lot of people is just let's fuck these people. You know, let's not respond to polls. Let's lie on polls. I don't know. But I think that that has a part of it. And I do think that the media, you know, there are some polls that get released and get pushed out there. And they're just completely bunked with the amount of um, like I saw a a poll where it was like a, a D plus five sampling. It's like, that's just not going to happen. So that, that poll's completely worthless already. So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, I think it mainly comes down to that. They, they're just not good at polling Republicans for whatever that reason is. And I just don't think that they have any desire to change. I mean, again, they missed on almost everything in 2020. Trafalgar was wrong in that Trump lost the swing states, but he was closer the place in the actual margins of victory than any of the national media polls were. So, you know, it, they keep missing and then we're still supposed to believe them when they have Tim Ryan beating JD Vance in Ohio. I don't think so. Oh, hold on. Where am I? Oh, sorry about that. I just, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> um, well, oh God, I, I had something I was going to, and I lost my train of thought on it. Um, so what what do you see the final Senate tally is? And I, and I mean, I think we're all agreed that the House is a foregone conclusion, probably. Um, so what so what do you see the final tally on on election night with the Senate races? Uh, and which when you say a race or two gets pissed away, which one do you think likely gets pissed away? The most likely one to get pissed away is Georgia. As much as I think Warnock is a trash candidate. He does have tons of money and he does, he's just not, as much as he is a generic Dem and that he just votes party line, I don't know. I think there's just something about him that's a little bit more dynamic than that. Um, I think Oz will be fine, honestly, especially with uh, Shrek um, and his heart's going to explode. You know, the only reason I doubt Walker will lose um, is because I feel like Kemp could totally carry him over the finish line. Um, but I do think that the tally is going to sit around 53-54. Um, again, Nevada is a likely pickup. I think they might get one of New Hampshire, Colorado. Um, I think Arizona will be fine. Pennsylvania will be fine. Ohio will be fine. North Carolina will be fine. Uh, again, maybe we won't see huge margins of victory. 
um, that you might expect in a quote-unquote red wave. But if they get over the finish line, I don't care if they win by one or if they win by ten. So here's here's the question I remember. So there's a rumor that former President Boomer Dad is going to announce in September. He's going to jump in right before the midterms. Do you think that has an effect? Do you think that gets people to be distracted, or do you think that that could have a bounce, or what? What do you? Let's pretend that happens. Let's say he gets in there and he says he's running again, and he he throw shit at disloyal Ronnie D and then he starts spraying his fire hose again. Uh, he starts talking about election rigging, et cetera, et cetera. What effect do you think that that has on things? I think Donald Trump entering the race for 2024 before the midterms is the worst possible thing that could happen to Republicans before the November election. So of course elections. he's probably going to do it. Yeah, because he doesn't care about the party. He only cares about himself, which is why I hope we say good riddance. Um, I think the House is fine either way. Again, maybe on the margin, it makes some difference. But uh, I think the Senate is where he could blow it because what's he going to talk about if he declares? He's going to talk about rigged elections in Georgia. So there goes that one. You know, that that one, he'll probably bring Brian Kemp down with him and campaign with Stacey Abrams because, you know, that's just kind of his thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that would be that would doom your Colorado potential pickup. That would doom your New Hampshire potential pickup. Uh, you know, Washington's a long shot, but the Republicans actually have a good candidate there. That's shot to hell if he gets into the race. It's, you know, I just can't even fathom him doing it because I just don't want him to so much, which is why he probably will do it and ruin all of our lives. Yeah, we we've seen that story happen too much before. So, yep. um, <laughs> and you can kind of see some teasing in media about some Republicans going on and being like, "No, no, don't do this, don't do this." Like you can see them leaking to. Uh, I think it's Politico had this story, and there was some like uh, anonymous Republicans on the line just going like, "This would really fucking suck if he did this. It would really suck." And then you know that if he jumps in and he starts talking about Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, um, all the states that he thinks wronged him, and he's never going to leave that narrative. He's never going to get off that. He's going to be talking about that for the next eight years, whether or not he's in the White House or not. So, yeah, that's going to be to me as we're kind of coasting towards – you know, November, once we hit August and then you go August through November is kind of, you know, rubber to the road. And then of course we're going to have September where, you know, and knowing Trump, he'll announce on like nine 11. So, <laughs> which would be like the worst thing to happen on that date in history. So, <laughs> uh, and then my only other comment, uh, I just want to point out that we're not even a full month removed from Dobbs. And we've already moved on to climate change as the number one issue on Dems' yep. uh, national minds, not voters. Because what it keeps getting like one or two percent in polls in terms of issues. But I just think that that was the whole. And again, I think it will make a, a difference at the margin. I think that abortion will change some votes and change some enthusiasm. But it was such a bad issue for them to really go all in on. We've already moved on to climate change and I get it's hot and that's why we're talking about it now. But even before 
they started rolling out with it. You know, Joe Manchin's killing the whole planet. You know, he just completely doomed the whole planet. We moved on to that so quickly. And then Jan 6 hearings tonight. So that's another three days of coverage on that and not anything else. Abortion is going to be almost completely in the rear view by the time November comes around. So that's why, again, I think we should piss on all the people who said, you know, this is going to define the November election. They're already moved on from it. We already don't care. Yeah. And like I said, within a week of Dobbs, they were they were talking about gay marriage and they were talking about everything that wasn't Dobbs. They were talking about gay marriage. And now that's what we're doing. We're we're talking about legislating this and um, and and then they're going to be talking about climate change. And now we're on to assault weapons bans and. You see just this flurry of things trying to get through the House, and that's because they see the writing on the wall, and they have August recess coming up. And when they come back from August recess, they're not really going to have – they're going to be out hitting the campaign trail. So September, October, November. And so that's why you're seeing this kind of rushed flurry of activity. Um, but as I say that, I don't think that they had an answer for Dobbs. They don't, they, they don't have a strategy or an answer for it. And they can scream and yell at Biden all they want, just looking like a limp-wristed, you know, cancer patient old man. But the thing that we sit back and say is, like, what can he do? There's not much he can really do. And, you know, without upending the entire Constitution, which, you know, for all of Biden's faults, he's still an establishment guy. He's been in Washington for, you know, 76 years or however long it's been. And so, you know, that has a lot to do. And that's why he's out of step with a lot of the louder voices in his party. I said when Mark Space staged this fake arrest that she'll be on Instagram that night explaining it. And, you know, she'll be laughing at people who said she was faking handcuffs. And that's exactly what she did. Um, she had a, uh, an Instagram story. I, I had a screenshot because she did the thing where she says, She's doing this look up and she's doing this silent thing with a text on the screen that says, when you're trying to prevent a fascist takeover while also fighting establishment party leadership who isn't interested in supporting your cause or something. And I just laughed at this because they're completely inept. They don't have anything. And yeah, as, as I've always said, you know, who's not staging stunts in front of the Supreme court or on Instagram, it's Joe Manchin. And it's, it's crazy to me that they haven't figured this equation out that, yeah, while you're more beloved online and you're more beloved in the media, the two most powerful people in the entire United States Congress right now are Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. And it's hilarious to me that you would rather be out there adoring for your Instagram fans rather than putting yourself in Kirsten Sinema's position, which is like, they're going to give me whatever I want for my state and my constituents to vote whatever way you want. It's insane to me how little these people understand about political power. Um, but anyway, um, any closing thoughts there, Sammy? I like all, all, all good data, all good things. I, I'm not really dooming about the Senate. I look at it. And I'm, all, I'm a political doomist anyway, where I'm just like, <laughs> and I said this, I think last call in where, if you're on the political right right now, you're not losing a lot of battles, which is weird because you don't have any power. Um, but you're not it, – it, it really is an incredible time to, to watch what's happening to the Democratic Party and the political left. They are, they are losing their shit while simultaneously losing every argument. 
And that's why you see them kind of doubling down on crazy as far as cultural issues like puberty blockers for children, which is not a popular position, but somehow they've been forced to defend this kind of thing. And I'm just sitting here looking at this saying this is the most for someone who's paid attention to politics for a good 20 years and someone who's been involved in it in 10. This is the most inept I've ever seen this party. And it's it's been a long line staging from Obama wiping his party out to where we are now. And uh, it, it's just insane to see. And like I said, if you think that the squad and the members of the squad and the Democrats are acting insane now, wait until they're in the minority in the House. Yeah, that's going to be quite the sight to see. Last thing I'll say is the next news cycle after this climate change thing is going to be out of the news in like a couple weeks. The student loan moratorium uh, date is coming up in August. So that's going to be the next news cycle. And again, Dems are going to go all in on because Biden's supposed to be canceling $10,000 of our debt or something like that. So that's going to be the next thing we're all going to pivot to. And then what? Another January 6th hearing. And then, oh, shit, it's September. Yeah. Yeah. And the student loan thing is going to be interesting because I don't know how he does it with where inflation's at. He's either going to bite the bullet and say, fuck it, I have to do something to get them out to vote. Or he's going to listen to his advisors and say, if you do this, your presidency's effect, it's over. And he might say, if I lose the House and Senate, it's over anyway. So, right. um, But they might look at him and say, if you do this, it's not only your presidency, it's the next one. It's there's no way whoever runs in 2024 is going to win. And so the student loan thing is really an interesting thing to watch. And it's one of those things where there's two things that Trump did for the pandemic where I think a lot of people said the Democrats are going to use this. One is when he put a hold on student loans, which I don't know what choice he had. I'm not blaming him. I, I, I just it was one of those things where as soon as he did it, it was like, fuck, like Democrats are going to they're going to keep this pandemic going forever, strictly on student loan debt. And then the second thing he did is when he, you know, declared a public health emergency, something that's not being talked about. And I and I've thought about writing about this maybe next week is everything Biden is doing right now. He's doing under the guise of public health, climate, public health emergency. He's looking at public health powers. Abortion on climate. He's doing it on abortion. He's doing it on gun control. Every single fucking pet issue of the Democratic Party, he's looking at declaring a public health emergency. Because once you've invoked those powers for something like COVID, which we can argue should or should not have been done on the grounds of should it have been done? Eh, we've never seen something like this before. You know, so maybe... But now looking back, you look at it and go, fuck, should we really have done that? Was it really that big of a public emergency? I know, you know, thousands of people died who were generally elderly. And the consensus seems to be that we should have sheltered them, protected them, and gone about our lives for the most part. And those are the two things that Trump gave the Democrats, which, again, I'm not, it's not a, it's just a this, this actually happened. And if you look, and nobody's talking about this, and it's interesting, not even people like Charles Cook or, you know, some of the really smart minds on the right who pay attention to this stuff constitutionally, everything they're doing right now is right now being under the guise of public health. We, abortion is a public health emergency. Uh, uh, gun control is a public health emergency. Hillary Clinton today on her Twitter feed, climate change is a public health emergency. And we kind of all knew they were going to do this because of Obamacare. And that was the big objection to Obamacare, which is once they get their fucking hooks in, they can declare anything 
they, they can declare obesity a public emergency, a public health emergency. And oh, by the way, we're cutting back meat consumption like they're doing right now in Denmark. So, well, that's uh, a preview of a student loan. Yeah, the student loan thing is going to be really interesting to watch because he Biden might end up doing what he does on everything, which is we're looking at it, we're looking at it, and then it just fades out of the news, and then it comes back. And he's done that on everything. It's like, oh, we're looking at it. We're looking at it. We're. Lo- I'll make a decision soon. He'll make a decision soon. And then it just, like, disappears. It's like Biden forgets about it, which, you know, given the fact he has COVID and cancer and dementia, isn't to be surprised. It's a rough time for him. All right. Well, poor, poor guy. Have- Thanks, Samuel. Uh, like I said, we'll wrap up. We'll just we'll, we'll finish a cue with Paul, Josh, Chris, and Daniel. Because it's a weeknight, and uh, I still have to fucking record for you people tomorrow. Uh, Rob, what's on your mind? Fire away. Hi, uh, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Um, Just figured I would uh, ask you just a quick one. Um, The next time you are at Coors Field, you are up to the plate. What is your walk-up music? (laughs) Uh, I haven't been to Coors Field in a while. The last, the last I was at City Field was for the Mets. Um, what would be my walk-up music? Uh, the John Williams 1978 Superman theme. <laughs> I love it. Yes, uh, good that's, stuff. That's like the uh, one off the top of my head. I, I would, my, I maybe would like throw a kink in there, and maybe throw in like some Kasabian off their album. Maybe some good Brit rock, like Common People from Pulp would be kind of an offbeat one. Um, but yeah, I'd probably do something like movie theme-wise. You know, I'd probably do, yeah, like 1978, Superman, uh, maybe like James Horner's Glory theme uh, or something. Something along those lines. Or Hans Zimmer's always good. You could do like Con Air from Hans Zimmer. Crimson Tide would be a great one. I'm, I'm thinking of like things that every once in a while I would listen to to kind of get pumped up for a hockey game. So it would, it would definitely be something different. It, it, it wouldn't be like, you know, a, a standard rock song or, or I guess what they do now is like Kit Cootie or, you know, Kendrick Lamar. It would be, it would have to be like off the beaten path a bit. So maybe probably like a, a film soundtrack of something, maybe like the fire rises chant from the dark Knight rises or some shit. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. My, my pick would be, uh, Bluesy Revolution by my favorite band, Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> that that's a very good Colorado song for right now. He's very beloved there, and um, that's one that the fans probably would like to partake in at that particular stadium. That's awesome. All right, well, have a good one. Cheers, Cheers Stephen. Rob. Thanks for the thanks for the uh, out of left field question. Pardon the pun. I like those. Paul, let's see. That's Paul's up. Paul, Josh, Chris, Daniel. Paul, fire away. Oh, did we lose one? How long do I wait? It is a weeknight. We have places to be. Oh, he's gone. That makes my job easier. Josh, you're up. You got lucky. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. Uh, Let's talk about the weather. So this uh, new new, uh, way the media is. (laughs) I'm seeing a new way the media is angling this uh, current heat wave that we're we're in that – we see pretty much every summer for the last 30-something years. And now they're doing it in a way that has the ratio between the number of people experiencing this heat wave versus where the heat wave is. And it's not any different. So, uh, let me open up the, the AccuWeather. Uh, 
AccuWeather real field temps to top 100, 100 degrees for 160 million at height of heat wave. I have not seen this before, and now this is a thing that's happening where they're saying that the number of people that is in this this heat, and like this is something that's happened for years now. They're just finally figuring out math. I don't know. This is just like baffling to me. What are they doing? I don't know what the hell is happening with them right now. They're trying to scare the shit out. Scare the shit out. Well, I, I know simple. that. So something I noticed. Something I noticed after in New York when I, I went through two technical hurricanes when I lived in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, I went through Superstorm Sandy, and I went through the other one, whichever one it was. Um, wasn't scared. I had fun during, like, both of them. It was actually kind of interesting. I, I was up on the fifth floor of, like, a concrete building, so I wasn't worried. Uh, I didn't evac. We were on the water line, but I still didn't evac. Um, and I noticed, and you, and you guys have probably noticed, they have started to name snowstorms. Not, like winter hurricane blizzard they've started to name average above two inches snowstorms and if you haven't noticed this you will because we're coming into winter now it's snowstorm oscar snowstorm whatever and they just started doing this in like the last five years and if you have to ask okay why did you just suddenly decide to start doing this and it's because they want you to think that snowstorms are extreme weather events. Um, and so by giving them a name, which is associated with what we did with hurricanes, it's going to freak you out and say, oh, see, more extreme weather, more extreme weather. There's something today, and this is one of my favorite genres, uh, Wired Magazine, uh, Alex Thompson from Politico's West Wing Playbook. I, Alex Thompson's generally fair. He, he kind of wishes back and forth, but he, he posts an article from Wired. And it said, why the Arctic is warming four times as fast as the rest of Earth. And it says, uh, the loss of sea ice is exposing darker waters, which absorb more of the sun's energy. It's a devastating feedback loop with major consequences for the planet. And it's an interesting article that talks about, again, as you know, as things get hotter and it's heating up the ice, and because the ocean water is as deep as it is and it, and it reflects light or whatever, so it's heating the water, which is in turn melting more ice. And you read this and you're like, oh, shit, this is like scary as fuck. Like they're, they're, they're talking about this like, you know, we're all going to drown. And as you get into the article, and, and the reason I click these is, you know, because it is something that's interesting to me as far as natural phenomenon versus what they claim is man-made. And that there's a political solution to this, which I think for the most part we know that there isn't. But it's one of my favorite genre of climate articles because as you get down into it, and I posted this on Twitter, it's... I highlighted what causes the sudden spike in Arctic temperatures isn't yet clear. And if you read just about every single modern science climate article, some variation of that sentence exists of while scientists are still unclear of why is causing this warming or the goat to turn inside out on a shepherd lens of Norway, their fear is, and that's how they'll shift it. And they'll say their fear is it's because of your SUV and man-made climate change happening in, you know, the outskirts of London and Great Britain. And it's something, it's one of those things where if you read, you really should. You should read climate articles. You should read these things. But you're going to find in most of them, if, if, it's, if it's like Wired, and Wired is pretty left-leaning in its, in its content these days. Uh, they, they write a lot about disinformation and, and things like that. Um, National Geographic's another one. Um, uh, some articles in mainstream press will write this. 
But in every single one of these articles, if it's presented for the most part fairly, you're going to get a variation of that sentence of uh, meteorologists are still unclear of this pattern or they're unclear of why this is happening. And then they'll shift to what they think or what they believe, which it shouldn't be written off. Um, I kind of adhere to the fact that, yeah, if you look at if you look at the data now, we're in a warming cycle. That's undeniable. Why? Nobody can say for sure. Um, we do know it's probably because you turn your hair dryer on for a few more extra minutes. And again, that's what they want you to believe. It's never it's never the people with the power to change their behavior that is the problem. It's you and your gas guzzling truck that's the problem. And it's it's simply put, and this is this is as simple as I can put it on climate change. When you fucking people start acting and behaving and modifying your lifestyles around the climate that you claim is happening, we'll probably start believing you. But no, not a single one of these people does that. John Kerry doesn't do it. The president doesn't do it. Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't do it. Um, one of my favorite recent climate articles was for The Revenant, when Leonardo DiCaprio is filming The Revenant, which is he plays Hugh Glass, the, the trapper up in Canada. Um, they're filming up in Canada. And it's set in the winter. There's lots of snow and it's a brutal, it's a brutal film shoot. It's all done with natural lighting. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's a great film. I recommend it um, despite a tool that DiCaprio is. But he talks about how they were filming north of Calgary and they had to stop filming because they got so warm in winter that they didn't have the location for the snow that they needed. So they stopped filming they had to go look for a different location, and then they had to come back in a few months. And he and he used that as climate change. As it turns out, in, in several of the articles where they interviewed people, uh, it turns out that it was a Chinook, and that Chinooks are normal for that part of the region uh, in, in winter, which a Chinook is a warm, a huge, just warm thing of warming air and warming wind that comes through, and it melts the frost, and it melts the snow. And this is a normal, natural phenomenon. <laughs> And it's like, you read that and you go, did you guys not know this or, or, or are you using this for propaganda? Like, what are you doing here? Um, and another one of my favorite climate articles is University of Texas conducted a study, and you can go read this in the LA Times, from about, I think, uh, 2013, 2014, uh, about that most of the warming on the western coast of the United States, northern California, up to southern parts of Can or northern parts southern parts of Canada under Alaska was all due to natural warming they couldn't link it they it, this was a natural warming cycle and so i i take that into consideration then i ask why is this stuff not also taken into consideration for the climate um and like i said it's it's i hate to use the word elites but it's the people with the yachts and the jets who don't need to fly they don't need to drive they don't need to do these things um when they start acting like it beyond speeches and tweets, we'll, we'll start listening. We'll start believing you. Some people won't, but I don't need to be lectured by Barack Obama about the dangers of the climate when you're building a fucking house on Martha's Vineyard in Hawaii. And I get that people think this is the most basic of basic arguments, but it really is. These people don't act like we're in a climate emergency. Joe Biden yesterday flew Air Force. Well, he flew a helicopter from the White House to Andrews, Andrews to Air Force One, Air Force One to, to 
uh, Rhode Island, where then he took his motorcade to Somerset, Massachusetts, where he gave his speech. Okay. In order to transport the motorcade, it took two C-130s. And that then unloads his beast car, which he needs. He's the president. I'm not saying he doesn't need these things, but I'm also not the guy making the argument to modify behavior. And then it also included something like seven SUVs, also an ambulance that carries his blood and carries emergency things. Well, all of that then gets transported. Then it all has to go back. Okay. So then all of that stuff gets driven back, gets put into the C-130s, and then the C-130s fly back to D.C. or Andrews. The president gets back in his car. He drives, gets back on the airplane. Airplane flies back to Andrews. He then gets back in the helicopter, which then takes him to the White House, and then he walks out and he waves to everyone, and then he passed out of COVID. My point in this is that Somerset, Massachusetts, is an hour-and-a-half flight from Washington, D.C. There was no need for him to make this journey. No, there was no He could have given the speech on the phony stage that they have for him or from the Oval Office. He could have given it in prime time. That's generally reserved for emergencies. He could have given it in the map room. He could have given it from the residence. He could have given it on the South Lawn. The point is he didn't have to travel. He didn't have to use all of that to travel an hour and a half to give what estimated was about a 22-minute speech where he admitted he had cancer. Um, I I wrote a piece for Ricochet a few years ago where Bill Nye, uh, bragged that he spent Earth Day with Obama in the Florida Everglades. And I calculated all of the travel that had to happen for that excursion. And that was the year that Obama landed the helicopter right in the middle of the Florida marshland. <laughs> and I'm like, what kind of fucking damage is that doing to the environment? Like, he just, he brings the helicopter down. And then, like, some band played. And I look at this stuff and I'm like, they really don't hear themselves. You have Pete Buttigieg today telling people to just go buy a used electric car now for 20 grand. And they really don't hear themselves. They really do think they're the righteous bunch. And I think for the most part, I had, we did a call in a while ago, which was, would you buy a Tesla? Like if you could and whatever. And most people said, yeah, they would, they would try it. Um, you know, most people now, some people have electric lawnmowers and people recycle. I like Dennis Miller's commentary we, a few years ago where he said, haven't we been good to the earth? I mean, he talked about how when he was a kid, you'd throw any fucking McDonald's bag just out the window. <laughs> like anything, like cups, wrappers just on the highway, just fucking toss it. And we don't do that anymore. Like people hold on to that shit and they're generally conscious about it. And so I kind of think we deserve a pat on the back for how we've progressed. And, and I've written in the past, like, the, George Carlin's routine, the Earth's not going anywhere. We might, like, we, we, we might end up incinerating ourselves, but the Earth is going to be fine. It's been around for billions of years, or 2,000 if you're religious, who cares? And that, that's why I just, I don't, I don't adhere to this climate alarmism. Uh, I mean, this is kind of just, you know, to end my diatribe, this is what happens when you put a scoldy Swedish team in charge of international energy policy. And we're seeing the re- we're seeing the effects of that. We saw the effects of it in Sri Lanka. We're seeing the effects of it now with cutting farming in parts of Europe. And that's only going to get worse. And again, that kind of ideology is going to make its way over here 
uh, with farming. And again, I guess look out when that happens. So sorry. Go ahead, Josh. I didn't mean to kind of get going there, but you know. (laughs) Oh, well, I just spent the last three weeks on a road trip back and forth across the country where I I spent nowhere near what grandpa is going to spend on whatever fuel he was going to use, whatever something like whatever he keeps to keep himself alive. And I don't think that. So, oh, shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. So, whatever I spent is nowhere near what he's going to spend. These guys, oh, shoot, I had some notes. Sorry, I'm, I should probably just no, stop so the that call. Was my right you, got, you got me revved up, and then I just gave you an entire podcast. Oh, yeah, I, I had some notes. <laughs> just, I just fucked myself <laughs> over. <laughs> no, no, but you're absolutely right. And, like, when these, again, it really is that simple. I think... You know, if these guys modify their behavior, you know, and there are there are some people who are celebrities who did that. Dylan Radigan, who's who was a famous MSNBC host, just dropped out the face of the earth and he went and created a full, fully sustainable farm. There are celebrities that do that. But, you know, it, it's kind of like when you guys start doing that, I think people and skeptics and nobody denies. I mean, nobody is a climate denier. The climate always changes with that's They change the language on you on for a reason. That's what they do. But again, it really is that simple. When we start seeing you live by your own rules, as opposed to scolding me for having to fill up my car with gasoline, um, I think we'll take you a little bit more seriously. And I I think that that's the kind of attitude that if you choose to live by it, will convert a lot of people who normally look at this. And like you say, Oh, it's just kind of fucking hot right now. Um, And it was funny. Like Bernie Sanders had one of those rants from two years ago when it was like 50 or 60 degrees on Christmas on the East coast. And he, and then people went back to, to the almanac and found out that it actually did that for a few years in like the 1940s or 50s. And it's just kind of like we know what you're doing. And, and until you decide to live by what you're telling us to, then we're not going to take. Yeah, well, I'm not going to live by what they tell me to do. I'm going to keep taking road trips until I can, until I can, as long as I can afford it. And the rest of them can fuck off. And uh, next guy up. <laughs> I think most people are, are where you are, Josh. Sorry, sorry to kind of uh, get you to forget your notes there. Uh, Chris and Van BC, Kanadistan. Good evening. How are you? Good. And I saw um, Paul, uh, Daniel. We'll take Paul last because he dropped off. But go ahead. Okay, um, I'm one who I I, I, I look at as as you. People know I, I'm in in the media, and I, I look at the what I'd like to say reading the tea leaves. Now, this is a three week old theory that I've had. Um, when um, when there was the meeting of the Americas about three weeks ago, we had uh, Justin Trudeau meet with Joe Biden, and, and all the world leaders were together in California. I. I you you probably remember that. Uh, well, with yep. with that meeting in in Justin Trudeau met up with Joe Biden, and he also met up with Gavin Newsom. Well, his meet up with Joe Biden, as you know, I'm in media. It was a thirty second voiceover, which was and then a sound up. Which, so voiceover that we talked about uh he talked to biden then trudeau's response to biden then afterwards we had a two and a half minute package of trudeau meeting with gavin newsom that's when i figured out 
The media is behind Gavin Newsom. They want that human Ken doll. And, and having the two human Ken dolls in the same room was, was almost too much for myself. But that's when I discovered the media is going to be really pumping Gavin Newsom's tires. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see them doing it. The, the problem with Newsom is he's such a pud when he speaks that he really is, like you said, a Ken doll. He really is just all the, you know, all eyes and pomade. And I, I think he, I, I do think he's doing what he's doing nationally to mount more of a profile, whether that's for 2024 or 2028, whatever it is. Um, I think what's funny is I think Newsom believes it's going to be him versus DeSantis. And I don't think anyone right now believes that uh, either way. Um, but as, as if you read what I wrote at Washington Examiner today, he, he's definitely making, you know, national moves. And I really thought it was so funny how he's getting a guided tour of the White House on the weekend that the old man is out of the country fist bumping the Saudis and Newsom's getting, you know, the, the white glove treatment from Ron Klain and Kamala Harris. Um, that was so, so unsubtle and funny. That, you know, if I'm Newsom, I, I, you know, if that's me, I'm like, no, I don't want to be seen because, you know, the press is going to talk about this with the whatever. But no, he's just like, yeah, open them doors. You know, let me go try this desk. Um, and that's that's for a reason. He's definitely trying to raise his profile. The media is on, is in on this guy. They, they think he's fucking great and wonderful. Um, they're going to get a hard lesson because I think he's probably one of the weakest national candidates they could put forward. His candidacy is over as soon as people remind you of the French Laundry, and it's. It, I, th- I really think it's that simple. That was such. That was the highest profile case of a governor, because there were a few of them. There was like the mayor of Denver flew and broke COVID rules. Um, there were there were a few others that you know flew down and, and some flew to Florida and some went to the beach and whatever. But Newsom, who's the governor of California, it's the, you know the biggest state in the, in the country and. Uh, maybe other than Texas, someone's going to argue with me on that, I'm sure. Um, and he just flaunted those rules and he did it at like one of the snobbiest fucking restaurants in the entire country. And that's all you have to do is just run that clip ad nauseum and say, this is the guy who wants to talk about freedom. You know, while you were locked down, losing your job and your kid wasn't in school, this dude's ordering a thousand dollar bottle of wine. And hanging out like not a care in the world. And that's the end of his candidacy. It's 100%. It's, it's similar to Stacey Abrams. I think Stacey Abrams' candidacy died with that photo of her sitting with all the mass kids around her. It died. If you notice, she's not really getting the national treatment right now. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, I, I think you're right. I think he's, he's, a media, he's a media darling. If there's a primary, is he a bigger one than, say, Ocasio-Cortez? Maybe. Um, but it's, it's, you're, you're certainly right that the attention is there. And like you said, and it's funny that you mentioned Trudeau because that's exactly who I fucking would compare him to. I would compare Gavin Newsom to Justin Trudeau, which is there's so many hypocrisies there that maybe he could overcome them here that Trudeau could do it up in Canada. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see it. I think he would be, it. I would love to be a campaign manager facing Gavin Newsom. Let me put it that way. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, it's all Paul made and, and, and also check out Justin Trudeau's new haircut. It's, it, it looks like he did it with yeah, a spoon yeah, and a bowl. I, I didn't want to comment um, on it. I saw it. it. It's, it's fucking weird. That's, that's it. Yeah. I just, I saw people comparing it to like Jim Carrey's from Dumb and Dumber. I, I would compare mm-hmm. it more like for, for just the Gen X or twat that I am. I would, I would compare it to like when Bono cut his hair for the Pop Mart tour that was just fucking weird. Like it was like, that just doesn't look right. And so, yeah, he, he went with the short, weird buzz thing, but I mean, on the plus side, it's probably easier to apply the shoe polish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh schism would be the best uh, walk up, uh, up to bat song to go with. And, and one other thing I, I've asked you, I, I've, I, what do you think of Sonic Youth as, as as a band or any other? Are you a Sonic Youth fan as a Gen Xer, or do you find them overrated and and intolerable? Uh, I find them somewhere between overrated and intolerable. Uh, I don't mind them. I, I Sonic Youth was kind of like the too cool for school band that you would listen to when you didn't want to say you listen to grunge. Um, I, I, I like I've listened to clips of them live like they were on Letterman and I'm really sitting there trying to get into it and I'm like this they just sound like shit like live like it's weird um a couple a few decent songs but for the most part I never got into them they're they're such a mess and all over the place and um I respect the kind of cred that they carry through that age they were you know like I said, they were like the they were like the cool band of grunge, where it's like when all, when all your friends were listening to Nirvana and Pearl Jam, you'd be over here like, yeah, well, I listen to Sonic Youth, yeah. And it's sort of like you know the Britpop era when it's like when I, when people are listening to Oasis and Blur, I'm listening to Radiohead and Suede, and that's kind of what Sonic Youth always felt like. Their their songs just never come together for me. I've I've tried it. I found myself turning them off on the radio and. Um, I don't know. That doesn't take away from their creativity. I just don't think they're my cup of tea. They're just um, as artsy and as cool and as indie as you can be. You still have to fucking sound good, and that was always my problem. It's uh, like I said, they're not madly intolerable, but I do think they're as far as like you know, uh, you know, record store people go i think they're overrated and a little intolerable uh as someone who saw them live 11 times i thought they were great live but yeah, i can <laughs> I'll see take your word i'll take your word for it uh, they, they were weird live I, I saw them from everything from like only doing instrumentals to only doing hits, but yeah, the, the, I, I get it. I, uh, it's kind of funny. You, you said they were a mess and then the whole thing ended in a mess. So, but I, I always yeah. wanted to know what you, what your opinion on, on them. And were. I, and I just um, crushed your hopes and dreams right in front of an entire live audience. Oh, you know what? No, you didn't because I, so, sometimes I, I, I will say this. I, I'm, I met Thurston Moore and he's, he actually was pretty cool and Kim Gordon. And she is a total, uh, she's not very nice. <laughs> she's just a, she's, she, she, doesn't she, look, she doesn't look very nice. 
she is as she is as scowly in person as as you would see, as you see her. So there, there you go. And uh, she so looks, they're, they're saying she looks exactly. She acts exactly how she sounds. Yes, exactly. She, she yeah, she is. She, she was not a. Uh, she uh, every yeah. She is not someone that you, you, I would want to hang out with. I love the music, but I was like, yeah, let's let's bail. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, awesome uh, talking to you, and I'll uh, talk to you next week or or soon. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for coming. We go, Daniel, and wrap up with Paul. Make it a good one, guys. Uh, we're up. We're up late. This is versus media late after hours. Uh, Daniel, let her rip. What's on your mind? Uh, we, yeah, yeah I, I hear you. You're good. Go ahead. All right. I just wanted to say, uh, well, following on the Sonic Youth comment there, uh, as a as a Gen Xer born solidly in 1972, I'll say uh, I totally concur with your uh, Sonic Youth assessment. They're great sometimes, but most of the time they're just like self-indulgent bullshit. Yeah, self-indulgent's a good word for them. They're they're talented. I'm not taking away from oh, yeah. their talent, but it's just for like sure. they they are way more interested in what they are doing than caring about what the audience thinks they're doing. Yeah, I mean that's great for some people, but yeah, I mean yeah, I, I get it, but it's not for me for the most part. Um, yeah, uh, long time listener, multi-time caller, but first time getting in, I guess. Um, I guess my thing about Biden, and this has bothered me since the election, and I've wanted to call in and talk about this for a while and see if anyone else thinks anything about this, but, um, just the fact that this guy has been propped up. Well, I mean, we all know that he's debilitated in some capacity, being an old man. I mean, this is just... Well, what is history going to say about about this this whole thing? This we, We've basically had this man propped up by all these people in order to gain power and, and all of that. And it's just a weird, a weird thing. I don't. I don't know what it, what I'm trying to say. It's it's they they ran Biden exclusively to get rid of Trump, and then when it happened, they went, "Okay, yeah. what do we do now?" Yeah, That's, I mean, did, did they, they have they a plan? They I mean, I mean, are we are we gonna? Yeah, they just weren't thinking long term, and then he fucked them over even more. And I don't even think it was him. I don't. I really don't think he, it was up to him to choose Harris. I think. Yeah. You know, there was rumors that he wanted. Some, he wanted Chris Dodd, who's one of his best friends, or he wanted, you know, someone who's kind of older and, you know, one of these more establishment people. And he was basically talked into Kamala Harris. It was ultimately his call, so he probably still went along with it. But he really fucked them by picking her because she's not popular and she's not genuine. And her approvals are lower than his. And so. Uh, would to, to kind of just answer and set up your next point, which is they, and you can't really fault them in that sense of, we just need to get rid of Trump and how do we do yeah. that? And we'll, we'll figure out the rest and then we can, we can control Biden any which way, whatever. Um, but that was really all it was. It was, we need to pick someone who can get rid of Trump. Who do we think is the best reason? Forget his age, forget, forget his gaffes, forget his goofiness. 
we need to pick the person we think can beat Trump. And he did. He didn't do it by very many votes. You know, it was a close election, but he did. And then it was, okay, what do we do now? And people always said Biden was going to be the moderate. That was the thing. He's not Bernie Sanders and he's not, you know, any of these people. But as soon as he gets in there, all of these like things start happening that are off the fringe left, you know, military instituting pronouns and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all of this stuff that, that comes, that comes with the find of far left ideology. So who, whoever is governing is not governing as a moderate that Biden promised. Um, as I've said, he governed on competence and empathy and Afghanistan is, was the, was basically where his presidency went downhill he got a lot of leeway with coming into with the pandemic and then trying to, up, you know, ramp up vaccines. And, you know, so people were give, willing to give him a honeymoon and uh, not me, but people were. And then he just like out of left field said, we're leaving Afghanistan. And people were like, wait, what? We're doing what? And even people in Washington and even the media were like, this isn't on the schedule. <laughs> they were like, this is, you know, he kind of went full Dave. It was like, what? we're not doing this. What do we do? And he's like, yes, we are. And then they were like, fuck, I guess we're leaving Afghanistan. And that withdrawal proved to just be an ultimate Bidenism. Every worst nightmare that anyone that who knows Biden from DC and his foreign policy, you know, acumen and, and everything like that, it turned out to be the absolute worst fucking possible thing that could have happened. And Afghanistan proved that he didn't have one competence and two empathy and three, you really got a feeling for how controlled his presidency was by people around him. You're not going to answer questions. You're going to, you will turn around and you will leave the room. And that's, if you remember, if that was the biggest thing for like a month straight, which is a year ago, this is basically a year ago that Afghanistan happened. He just would turn around and walk away. No questions. He drone striked eight fucking kids, and I think to this day hasn't answered a single question on it. And people saw that. And you know what? There's a lot of people who aren't political who maybe aren't a fan of the Afghanistan war. We've been there 15 years. Yes, if we could get out of it, great. But you know what? We're there. Who are still pretty patriotic Americans. And when they see that kind of run, and when you see what we invested in Afghanistan, the amount of blood, treasure, troops, deaths, sacrifices, whatever. And that clueless motherfucker loses the country in 11 days. And the Taliban just rolls right back in after 15 years. I think people just went, we're done with this guy. Like whatever, like this is, this is unacceptable. People at the end of the day are still Americans. And Mm. we, there is still that mentality that, yeah, we don't like military conflict. We're a little tired of it. But at the end of the day, you just don't fly the planes out and leave people there. You just don't fucking do that. And that that to me was the beginning of the end of his presidency. And the fact that he wouldn't address it, he just walked away. His back being turned to the country will be the defining image of his presidency unless he dies of COVID. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's taken this long for the the media to finally turn on him. but. Anyway, um, I just wanted to, uh, just other than that, thank you for the chaos schedule. I, I've tried bumping up the, uh, <laughs> the, the Patreon for you we, there. No, we uh, did. We I, did I hope you don't take it personal. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. No, not at um, all. Not at, 
No, I, I like, that, I like because I am uh, a Red Wings fan from back in the day. You know, you know, I got to give you a little little Colorado Avalanche uh, menace there. Whatever, whatever you guys do. So, well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not really hearing those. I have a Stanley Cup ring plugging my ear now, so I'm not really. Yeah, hearing yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know. Um, I'm, I'm guys, over it. I'm an old man, so I you know I kind of kind of appreciate uh, a great guys, franchise. So, congrats to the Nordiques on another uh, cup. Yeah, well, the Nordiques wouldn't have won the cup in '96 because the Montreal Canadiens wouldn't have traded Patrick Waugh to the Nordiques. Yeah, in, in that game so, that the Red Wings bombed him for ten goals, so eh, we brought it on ourselves. Everyone has won, but I mean, the Az and the Red Wings. I mean, for as great as a rivalry that was. I mean, they both paid very, very dearly for those cups because they they both oh. traded away so many assets that I mean, you, Detroit's starting to come out of it. Detroit might land Kadri, which would be great for them. Uh, it would be great for the rivalry too, but because yeah. um, you just know Kadri's going to play for Detroit, and then there's going to be a game next next season, and he's going to like knee McKinnon or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to revert back to who he is, and he's going. I, I like would push, love to see it again, he's man. Gonna fucking I push Landeskog's head into the glass or something like that, and that would cause a huge rivalry. And then Kadri will be like, "I didn't really want to win the cup with them anyway," or some shit. But yeah. what, I mean, both Colorado and Detroit paid so dearly for those cups because they traded away all of their assets for like ten years, and mm-hmm. Colorado was the worst team in the league four years ago, and now here they are. And Detroit's starting to climb out of it, I think. I mean, Iserman is such a good GM with what he did in Tampa. I mean, Tampa's winning cups based on what he did. So, I mean, it it, it really would be great to see the Red. I'd rather see the Red Wings better again than like any other team, like like Chicago or, you know, (laughs) any of these Vancouver or the Canadians, just because I really would love to have it, especially if they're in the East. You could have an Avs Wings final. That would be fucking great. So, that would be, that would be um, amazing. Yeah, we, we we did okay with not doing chaos schedule this week. Uh, I, I'm going to do a podcast <laughs> Friday, and you know, so we went four days. But then, of course, I had the tech problems, and um, but yeah, well, I, I was I, I was going to jump on you, but I I didn't. You know, but yeah. you know, then you had chaos call in tonight, so here I am. And, yeah, I'm, and I'm probably going to look at doing another one this weekend because just just because if I if I have downtime and if I'm not stressing out and if I'm not on chaos schedule, then you know, I found myself this week like, man, I should just do a call-in. Like, I try to schedule them, you know, with some notice and set it up and say, here's an episode and, you know, put on your Sunday best and, get, you know, pour yourself a nice Chianti and let's do this. And then, yeah. then I just, just like, tonight I just went like, ah, fuck it, let's just go. Let's, we're going on call-in. We're doing it live. Yeah, so. I wanted to hit the Habibi bros because I wanted to give them the, I'm a stone's throw from Dearborn, Michigan and what their what their favorite chicken shawarma is. I will I will ask them for that and I'll answer it on the podcast. How's that? Make sure it's a stone's throw. Okay. Stone's throw from Dearborn, Michigan, favorite shawarma. Got right. it. Thank you. Right. Thank Cheers. you, man. Rock on. All right, man. Take care. Last but not least, Paul, who I know dropped off, so it's glad you came back and we'll fit you in last year. Uh, wrap it up for us, Paul. I'm I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you eight minutes so we can go even at two hours. All right. Hopefully I'll be faster than that. So first of all, Sunday night with the Habibi brothers was hysterical. 
That was yeah, great. Yeah, we're still here. Um, I thought I thought we had a few lines there that might get us some in trouble, but Colin doesn't. Yeah. Not with Colin. I'm not worried about Colin. One of the reasons I do this is, you know, when I talk to the guys that developed it, they were pretty much like, no, we're, we kind of want to make this like Substack podcasting. And they were just like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, step on your toes or anything like that. And, and there's a ton of shows on here. Like Miles Taylor has a show on here and I can't fucking stand that guy. So we all kind of yeah. just do our own thing. Well, going off of that and, you know, talking about if Trump were to announce that he's running in 2024 and make that announcement in, you know, September, October, I think uh, we'd have to crowdsource two one-way tickets to Mar-a-Lago for the Habibi brothers to take care of that. <laughs> yeah, just, just, yeah, they would be one way because they're not landing. Um, we just need to make sure that they hit Mar-a-Lago and not the governor's mansion. Well, they would be kind of landing, just right. not with the landing they, gear It would out. be landing missile style like the Pentagon. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, anyway, that aside, um, I was kind of uh, wondering what your thoughts are. Have you seen the shit that's going on in China with tanks out on the street and, you know, people's bank deposits being frozen? And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, my take, my take just briefly, and then I'll let you finish this. I, I am. It's like Iran when I see protest videos out of Iran. Mm-hmm. I am naturally skeptic of everything. So the, uh, while, while I follow a lot of protest stuff in Iran, I've written about the, like the women's protests in Iran. I, I'm just naturally skeptic of the people pushing it. I'm, I'm just someone who a lot of these people have propaganda. They have their messages, even if their message is righteous, right? Even if their message sure. is good, I'm, I'm still skeptical of pushing it. Just for those reasons. And so, yeah, I ha- I've seen the videos out of China. I know the state where they're freezing bank accounts uh, mm-hmm. because of what's going – similar to what's happened in Sri Lanka. Um, yeah. They can't get their money out, uh, and now they're moving tanks on. And, again, I've, it's all fuzzy like phone video because it's all coming out through – uh, it's all coming out through signal in, in places where that are unauthorized. Um, so yeah, I have, I've been, I've been watching it, but again, I don't comment on it. I don't tweet about it really. Um, because I'm so skeptical about who's behind it or what's happening. Yeah, no, I understand the, uh, skeptic skepticism regarding that. And I share that sentiment as well. It just, it seems like, you know, between like Sri Lanka farmers in Europe going on in China, you know, oof, boy, um, things are not looking good. Yeah, new, um, new new liberal order feels like it's on the brink. There, I've definitely yeah. thought that. Like, you see, you know, globalist neoliberalism around the world kind of being Getting shoved aside. Nuts one, right now. Yeah. yeah, one way or the other. And, you know, Sri Lanka is one of those things where... I like what Iowa Hawk blog on Twitter said. The media is reporting that it's happening, but they are avoiding telling you why. Yeah. Because we know why. They they basically implemented the Scoldy Swedish Teens Green Energy Plan, which was we're not going to use uh, fertilizer with pesticides, which was something that was like a huge theme at Davos. And what was it? Three, four, five years later, pff, there's no more food. Like people are starving. 
And then, of course, obviously with the government, it was a very forward thinking. We're going to do things with the environment and whatever. And now, again, with the farming in Europe, they're doing the same fucking thing. And you have a farmer's revolt happening. And then again in China, which, you know, China is interesting for its corporate power and for its cultural power. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you have them freezing bank accounts. And let's face it, anyone who tries to stage a revolt there is going to just get mowed down and they won't think twice about doing it. Um, but then also you see what we have happening here, which is not so much along those lines, but with inflation and, um, you know, the Democratic Party's dogma in Roe v. Wade is gone. You can argue how it went, but it is. It's gone. And it's like you said, a lot of that's just getting, you know, shit kicked in the nuts right now. And it's it's fascinating because they've kind of had rule over it for so long. Somebody proposed kind of a weird conspiracy that said, but I know if you're like on the political right, you're watching this and you're going, yep, there goes your whole worldview. We warned you. But then somebody also proposed, like, what if it's what they want to have happen? And that was that's that's kind of like the uh, the Great Reset, George Soros, you know, borderline yeah. conspiracy stuff. The Great yeah. Reset's not a conspiracy. It's just people have taken their own meaning from it. Yeah. And so that's another thing where you think, oh, shit, like, yeah, you know, and the U.S. is looking at a recession here and a month or two, which is another thing we all have to gird our loins for. And then what comes of that? So I have one other slightly unrelated question, and this is probably something we'll discuss a lot in the coming months. Um, because I think it's, it is a foregone conclusion. The Republicans are going to take the house pretty decidedly in November. And that's the question of what are they going to do when it comes to impeachment slash Hunter Biden and all his bullshit. And do you think that that could backfire on Republicans? Or do you think it's wise to just not really, you know, force that issue and do something that the Democrats never do, which is uh, something called uh, legislate? Just moderate your position, stop the pendulum swing. Um, yeah, or just, I, you know, I, like, yeah, uh, I, double down on, you know, energy production in the United States and say, yeah, we want to build a uh, hundred nuclear reactors and natural gas fields and then force Biden's hand on that, you know? Yeah. I don't uh, think his hand would be forced unless you had a veto proof majority. And I don't see that happening. That would be insane if that happened, but I'm always someone where I'm, if I'm, if I'm the party advisor, I'm saying you need to move forward uh, and mm-hmm. that's why, to me, Donald Trump would be a horrendous mistake because, one, the media would, would love to talk about nothing more than January 6th all the way through the 2024 election. Um, and if you if you nominate Trump, you're going to be talking about the 2020 election over again ad nauseum. And, uh, and even there's polling that shows Republican voters don't want that. They want to move forward. Yeah, we've eaten our, you know, the voters that we've eaten our shit for that, and it's bad, and it's bad that it happened, um, but we're moving forward and whatever. And that's kind of where I am, even with Biden. So if, yeah. let's say let's say Republicans take the House. I'm not for impeaching Joe Biden, unless you find a clear reason to impeach him. But I'm not for revenge impeachment. Uh, do I think it's going to happen? Yes, I do. 100%. I think they're going to impeach Joe Biden. Mm. I don't think it passes the Senate because Mitch McConnell has said he's not interested in that. Well, Let's say Mitch McConnell says, no, now you draw the ire of Hannity and Laura Ingram and Mark Levin. You know, ah, 
no, no <laughs> balls, cut, yeah. And that's what's going to happen. And so then it looks like, again, the establishment's selling out when that's not the case. It's, 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 we get, we get that you don't think Trump shouldn't have been impeached the first time. We get, I, I don't think Trump should have been impeached the first time over the fucking Zelensky phone call. Censored, yeah. maybe. I still don't even know what happened with that. That was what? From the Vindemans who weren't even in the room who said that this thing happened or the whistleblower who we still don't even know. And I look at that and I'm like, what if there's so many, there's so many convoluted steps to that. Bill Clinton, you could follow Richard Nixon. You could follow, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to have a pretty clear cut case. January 6th, I think is a pretty clear cut case that, yeah, you can impeach him. I made the argument that you should have. Um, yeah, but and I you know that's that true of yeah. That's true of. I'm just gonna say that's true of like the Biden thing as well because it can't be some you know uh, prolonged you know large you know spider web of business. You, yeah, you it can. has to be straightforward. Some you know head guy in the CCP paid his son five million, and his son blew it on you know hookers and crap. <laughs> You know, yeah, exactly. It has to be I, straightforward. I don't, even, I don't even necessarily, it's going to be something with Hunter Biden. It, it, they could impeach him on Afghanistan. They yeah. could impeach him on executive order. They could impeach him on his climate order. They could do, They could impeach him on saying he's going to, they could impeach you. That's that's the thing. Once you sure. go down the road of impeaching a president on a phone call, you're going to go down the road of impeaching him on anything. They could impeach him on competence. They could say, <laughs> we don't see, we don't see him enough. We, we think he's ill. You know, he hasn't, Joe Biden hasn't released a medical report since 2019. They can impeach him on that. And that's, you know, Ezra Klein of the New York Times made the argument, we we must normalize impeachment. And that's fine. That's a fine argument to make. Except we know that the second that the House impeaches Biden, Ezra Klein's going to be there saying this is a political witch hunt. Um, So do I think they should? No. Like you... The thing is, if you take the House and the Senate, you've ended his presidency. It's over. He can't do anything but just sit in the Oval Office and rot. Yeah. Um, so, but do I think Kevin McCarthy, who probably is going to hear it from Trump that you need to impeach him, and Kevin McCarthy's probably going to go, okay, we'll do it. We'll impeach him. Um, yeah, maybe I think that they do. Yeah. Here's here's the other thing is you you have the drums, and I've said this before, beating so loud right now from the Democrats and from corners of the media that you need to indict Donald Trump over January 6th mm-hmm. uh, on, I guess, insurrection or, you know, sedition charges, right? Um, which, again, aren't clear-cut. I mean, people can argue that he, he directed the mob um, and, you know, but, you know, he there's enough there where he said, you need to go peacefully, wink, wink, Um and what's interesting is I was looking at some of the January 6th coverage, and I've said this. They're, they're sh- the January 6th committee is showing text messages from Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Don Jr., Ivanka. Marjorie Taylor Greene has a text message up there going, you need to get him to stop this. This is really bad. And I'm kind of like, doesn't that poke a hole in these are all seditionists? Like, they're all telling him to stop this. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like, how? where's the conspiracy here? That those those text messages don't show you what they want. If if you wanted, you, if if it was what the January sixth committee wanted, you'd have Sean Hannity going, "Yes, burn the building down." Mark Levin, yeah, you know, but yeah. they don't show that. So yeah. you have the drums beating really, really loud to to indict 
Donald Trump on sedition charges and prosecute him. And as I've said, and it's not about no, you know, no presidents above the law, whatever, but that's a pretty convoluted thing. And you're probably not going to be successful in doing it. But the simple act of doing it is where I said uh, that's when, you know, a, a Republican president comes into office and his attorney general, attorney general Trey Gowdy or whomever it will be, uh, says we're now prosecuting Hunter Biden to the fullest extent of the law on racketeering, money laundering, gun, you know, illegal gun charges, gun, you know, gun, mm-hmm. he, he had a f- illegal firearm. Yeah. And I, I think that this is actually the card that Merrick Garland is playing where Merrick Garland's a leftist, but he seems to be an institutionalist where he's saying, if I do this, if I go down this, especially, you know, the AG, and this is where Biden didn't do Merrick Garland any favors, especially the AG who was Obama's Supreme Court nominee, who Trump prevented from becoming Supreme Court justice. If that guy, if his if his Justice Department charges Donald Trump, you're going to see, again, as I said, the road of all roads that you don't want to go down. And if I'm advising Joe Biden, I'm saying, do you want to see your son in federal prison for the remainder of your life? Yes or no? It's that simple yeah. because that's what happens. And oh, by the way, I think we're going to charge Hillary Clinton while we're at it yeah. for you know, freedom. Of, and that's the road we're going down. And if you're asking me, do I think we're going that way? Eh, probably. Do I think we should? Absolutely fucking not. And so yeah. my hope is that the Republicans say enough. We're moving forward. The odds of capturing the White House in two years are pretty good, depending on who's running. Um, and even then, who knows? Um, and then I think you, you, you start making steps and start making bills and drafting bills for the anticipation that you are going to have the white house, the Senate, the house, and of course the Supreme court in in two years. And that's, that's what you set yourself up for. Um, do I think that Kevin McCarthy is that smart? No, I don't. Uh, do I think Mitch McConnell is? Yeah. I I think Mitch McConnell knows how to play this game. So again, I agree. It has to be one party has to stop the pendulum. Uh, do I think that the Republicans are going to do it? I maybe. I I think Kevin McCarthy is going to impeach Biden, and I think I think you will see hearings on Hunter Biden. You will see not a special prosecutor, although maybe um, you will see congressional like a, uh, a congressional Senate hearing on Hunter Biden led by or a congressional House hearing led by Jim Jordan. That's the guy they're going to turn loose. So it'll be Jim Jordan investigating Hunter Biden. It'll be Jim Jordan investigating Joe Biden's business dealings uh, through China. But you're right. I can't imagine whether or not it's corrupt. I think we all know it's corrupt. It clearly Biden was in on this shit with his son, his stupid mm-hmm. crackhead son, clearly. And But you have to be able to make a stupid, simple case, almost like on Twitter. If you can't present the argument on Twitter, yeah, in a dumb enough way for the people to understand. Nobody's going to give a shit about Burisma. Nobody, they just won't. If they did, they would have cared during the election. So yeah. those are the things that are going to happen. Hunter Biden will be investigated, and then I think it stops. And they're like, "Okay, do you really want to prosecute Donald Trump? Because if you do, Hunter Biden's going to federal prison for fifteen years, and Joe Biden will not live to see his son walk out of prison. That's that's Biden's choice. And then, yeah. um." you're going to see the January 6th committee completely dissolved uh, because half those members won't be in Congress anymore. I think Liz Cheney looks like she's on her way to losing a primary. Um, Kinzinger's been primary. He, his district's gone. 
and they're the only Republicans on that committee. And so uh, it's January 21st of next year, whenever they're sworn in, uh, that's when, you know, McCarthy appoints Jim Jordan head of that committee. And he just instantly goes, ah, we're done. It's gone. And that'll cause a big brouhaha. And, and we're going to hear insurrection again and whatever. Um, so like I said, I, I'm one of these people where I'm just like, just move on. Stop, you know, stop looking back. Um, if Biden does something in the next two years that warrants an impeachment, then impeach him. I think Charles Cook said if he does, if he forgives student loan, that's an impeachable offense. I would agree with that. That's a pretty easy one. That's also mm-hmm. going to piss off a fuck ton of voters. And so, I mean, whether or not those are voters you're going to get anyway is arguable. But um, unless it's such a clear, gross misconduct, then just let it go. That Biden's going to be dead in four years. Who cares? You know, like, like, like really, like, does anybody? But I, I think it's going to be revenge. And then, of course, if like you get a president DeSantis and Congress flips, they're going to they're going to impeach DeSantis. The question becomes, what happens if one of these parties gets a solid majority enough to remove a president over a bogus impeachment charge. That's to me, that's kind of the next big question along with what happens when the political left just starts, stops ignoring uh, or starts ignoring SCOTUS rulings, which I predicted that. And here we are. So that'll be the big one. Like let's say DeSantis is president and in 2026, he loses the Congress and it becomes enough of a filibuster provoked to where he gets impeached for a, for something. It could be a money transaction, whatever, uh, fundraising, something. And the House impeaches, the Democrat House impeaches him. The Senate approves it and he's out. What happens then? I mean, that those are the places we're headed and any kind of step to prevent that. And you might argue they're going to do it anyway. Well, OK, then let them be the ones to do it. So that that's kind of my attitude. And I've been accused of being kind of wishy-washy and a cuck on those things. And I really don't care. Well, the best the best way to make sure that you don't get impeached in the future in your scenario is to make sure you have the most disreputable, distasteful vice president possible. So, <laughs> which was kind of Obama's. That way, you know, Obama, Obama's yeah, well, VP was assassination insurance. Let's just call it what it was. Um, well, yeah, that's so, why Joe Biden's in a great seat right now. Yeah, wants, the person behind yeah, nobody, him, the person no, on nobody, deck, is nobody way worse wants Kamala. That's true. And I mean, so, so that's, who will DeSantis put as his meat shield? I think Mike Mike Landell is probably a real yeah. You do different. the Mike. You pick someone who's just crazy enough that not even the Dems <laughs> are like, I want that guy to be president. So exactly, yeah. yeah. You, you pick like Mike Lindell or Joe Rogan. You know, um, <laughs> you know, pick Dinesh D'Souza as your running mate or something. You know, just something that the Dems are like, no, no. And, and I mean, Coulter. That, that, could, that could very well be the case for every president here on out. It's like, yeah, he, you know, he, here, here's my here's my running mate, the my pillow guy. Hey, and <laughs> shit. And then you just shove him in a closet and you don't let him talk. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Uh, you have any finish? I'll let you. I, I, we ran over your 1015, but I talked over. So give me like a closing thought. One thing. Anything? Else. Oh no, no, that's that's all I really all had right. for you. I just, I, I'm just going to be thinking about who's the uh, human meat shield for our future presidents. Yeah, as their, uh, you know, distasteful VP to avoid being uh, thrown out of office. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been that'll be probably for forever. So mm-hmm. you know, or or Ocasio Cortez will skirt that law by just not naming a running mate. She'll just be like, I'm it, I'm it, bitches. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the Constitution says I don't care. It's just it's me. Yeah, she's in so. just like she's in handcuffs. So yeah, only yep, in her dreams. Yep. Her, her VP will be her handcuffs. Yep, imaginary. <laughs> All right, Paul. Cheers. Thanks. Good. Good topic. Good thought. And we did it. We came in just about two hours. So uh, thanks, everyone, for sticking around. We did Versus Media late, especially for you East Coasters. You're you're up past your bedtime, you degenerates. That was my cough button. Uh, I will be back tomorrow on uh, Patreon for a final episode of the week. Uh, Be sure to leave me comments, questions over there, even if it's just under any episode random. Uh, Like I said, that's how those episodes are able to go a little bit longer. Uh, I may do another one of these this weekend. Um, maybe maybe Sunday afternoon or Sunday night again, which is always good. I might have a guest. I have a couple of guests in mind that I want to pick their brains, and they're not people you might think of in media or anything like that. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, so I, I might be back here this weekend. If not, I'll probably be back here Monday. But again, I'll be back on the podcast tomorrow. So be sure to uh, stay tuned for that. And hopefully the fucking file works this time. And uh, I, I'm I'm done having technological blips for the week because I I really can't handle those very well. That, that gets under my skin and I get the eye twitch. So anyway, thanks everyone uh, for listening. Thanks everyone for participating. Um, uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. This is Versus Media Live, and this is episode 27. Versus Media Late After Hours. Sexy, yeah. Um, and again, thanks for uh, the people who called in and for you people who are just out there listening, you've seen kind of how we do this. So uh, don't ever be afraid to jump on and, and just pick uh, your brain or mine. And as you see, we do kind of kooky things and I'm prone to going off on topics for as long as I want. That's kind of why I'm good at this. So cheers, everyone. Uh, have a have a good night's sleep. Have a good Friday. Have a good weekend. And I'll probably see you back here next week. Cheers. <laughs>